Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, April 18th. I guess it's tax day today. Your taxes are due or file an extension. Make sure if you file an extension, you send them some money because your extension does not give you more time to pay. It only gives you more time to file. If you owe money and you don't pay it today, the clock starts ticking and the interest starts piling up. So send them something, get your tax return done. Yes, I file an extension every year. Yes, I usually don't file the actual tax return till October or so, but uh, the money will be paid today. It is time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here with me from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them, then we'll get to your calls and questions. If you have anything maintenance-related, pick up the phone and join us, 855-950-3835. We're going to hear from Bruce. Bruce, you're up first this morning. Welcome. Thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure. What's on your mind this week? Well, I wanted to talk about a couple things. Uh, being there's still a lot of D-Deck 3 and D-Deck 4 Detroits out there. And it's been a long time since we talked about the BK, the MK, and the PK engine. You know, we get people calling, saying about their Detroit and it's smoking. And then I explained to them the BK, MK, and PK, and that's the first time they heard about it. So they they call up Detroit or Freightliner and find out they have an MK or a PK. And I said, well, when you rebuild it, make it a BK. They said, how am I supposed to remember that? I said, how many times going down the interstate do you see a Burger King restaurant? Now, I'm not telling you to stop there and eat, but that's you want the Burger King Detroit. Got it. So that's the easiest way to remember that. And the MK and the PK, uh, the compression ratio is very low on those, and that's why the white smoke. And those of you that listen to this show, please tell your friends, help to educate them that don't listen, because it's really hard when you get these phone calls, and a lot of guys don't have a clue. They don't understand gearing to run indirect. They don't understand about manifolds and turbos and dampers and balancers and compression ratios and tunes. I mean, it's just really hard to start out from the very beginning because, you know, that conversation could go four or five hours. Oh, easy. Yeah, Uh, easy. Uh, And I need, we need these, the listeners to tell others to listen, read the articles, Get on our website to help educate some. There's a guy just bought a 2019 W9 ISX450 in it, and it's got um, all kind of PDI stuff on it. And supposedly, uh, it won't use any DEF. And so he takes it into a truck garage, and right away, the turbo's bad. Right. Everybody wants to blame the turbocharger. Instead of finding the problem and fixing the problem, they charge him $10,000 per turbocharger on this engine. So now he's going to, another guy told him about us, we called him, and he's going to bring it into the shop and we'll get it straight time for him. Got it. All right. Uh, it, it, oh, go ahead. A, oh, here, here's another story. 
Richard Sherry called. He uh, lives in the southwest corner of Missouri. Got a tune. He's got our manifold and turbo and damper. 370 gears, uh, super single tires, 10 speed. And he dropped a little bit of fuel mileage with our tune. And we're talking. And he said, oh, but boy, does this thing run. <laughs> he drives between 55 and 65. I know exactly what happened. <laughs> he's got this two-lane road. And normally would take him 25 minutes through the hills on this narrow two-lane road to get to the four-lane now it only takes 15 minutes. <laughs> and, and when you're talking about a narrow two lane, you can't really drive it the way we tell people to drive rolling hills on the interstate. We use a lot of speed and momentum and right. kind of ease through it. When you're on those narrow right. two lanes, it's just pure power. That's all you've got is horsepower and torque to get you up yeah. the hills. And it will cost you in fuel economy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. So he's going to... Well, he he did become one of our remote tuners, so he, he did the tune through JR, and he's going to get a load to Pittsburgh, and we're going to put it on dyno and explain some things. But he did say the engine used to be noisy. It would clatter a lot, and now it's dead smooth. So there were a lot of things wrong with his tune that JR found. However, he's having a lot more fun right now. Yeah. So it's only been a week. Yeah. You settle down after a while, you get used to the horsepower and then you start driving it right again. So it's always nice to, right. to feel that and go out and use it a little bit. So nothing wrong with that. Um, but if you guys, if you guys are in a truck stop or rest area and you see a, an older truck and you think it might have a Detroit and it's smoking and a guy starts it and it's cold and it doesn't clear up in about three or four minutes, just walk over and talk to him and ask him if it's a 60 series and does he know if it's a BK, an MK, or a PK. And he'll look at you funny and explain to him that if it's an MK or a PK, it'll smoke usually until it gets up into uh, 145 and above, like the old big Hampstead. And uh, that the next time he rebuilds it, make it a BK and just – and. And he'll look at you crazy and just say, you know, listen to the power hour on the Let's Truck. Show them where the app is. Help your fellow man out there. Bruce, that's a, that's a good topic. I'm going to talk about that for a couple minutes because we, we are seeing a huge change in the industry right now. And we've been in a bubble. When, it, when I say we, you know, Pittsburgh Power, us, the other companies we, we deal with – the owner operators we deal with are not the average owner operator. These are people who are, have been running their business well. They've been around a long time. They've been through a lot of these cycles. And they've done really, really well the last couple of years. I mean, record-breaking stuff. And overnight, the market changed. You know, we've been talking about it for a long time. It just hit in the last month. Rates have I am shocked at how fast the rates have dropped right now. And they're, they're dropping every day. Um, trucks are sitting. Nobody's hiring right now. It happened really fast. And I'm seeing owner operators drop out because they missed one paycheck. 
That's how close they were. I'm reading stories of drivers stranded and can't get home. They don't have enough money to get home. They're asking for financial help from groups just to get a bus ticket to get home. That's how fast this market shifted. Most of the people that listen to the show have not had to deal or won't have to deal with a lot of that. They've been doing all the right things. But what we need to do, and, and it's kind of good timing for us as well, we're getting very close to getting our network app finished. Once we do and we work out most of the bugs, which shouldn't take long, um, this one's different. Our our listener app, we've been working on that since day one when we got canceled on Sirius. I mean, we started that first week working on it. The issue with that is it takes a long time to work out bugs because everybody using it is on different phones and different operating systems. And there's just a lot of work to get those kind of apps out. This app, I'll be the only one using it in the beginning. So we only have to work out my bugs and then we'll start using We'll You guys will be broadcasting from this software at some point as well. Once we do that, we've kind of got this worked out. We need to go back and really, really market heavy and get our listeners back. I mean, we never really tried. We didn't do a lot of marketing. And I'm shocked. Every week I still get emails from people. Oh, my God, I can't believe I found you. You're still on the air. I didn't know after, you know, a year plus. So and we'll be reaching out to our partners as well. Like if we were to send an email blast out to to your customers, I bet there are plenty that don't know we're on the air every week. You are correct. So we need to do that. Now, imagine this. You've been you've been in business basically your whole life. You worked, you know, a couple jobs and then went into business pretty quick. You've been in business a long, long time. You've had employees almost all of that time. Imagine coming into work one day, Bruce, and saying, you know what? We just have way too many people around here. And imagine firing 80% of your employees. How long would you be able to stay in business? If I were to fire 80% of our employees, we'd be out of business in about an hour. (laughs) I couldn't do it. I couldn't handle it. So imagine this. Imagine a company that is so big. It's sold for what I can't even remember the number anymore. $44 billion dollars. The company is so big, it sold for 40-some billion dollars. And Elon Musk walked in, fired 80% of the employees at Twitter. They're gone. Huge office complex in San Francisco that looks like a ghost town. They have 20% of their employees left, and the company is running better than ever. Can you imagine that? Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Nothing but improvements. I, I got on Twitter right right after he bought it, and I had been on Twitter before, so I know how it all worked. He has done nothing but improve this platform quite a bit, and they continue to improve it every day. They're rolling out new features, and, and yet he 80% of their employees are just gone. I just have a hard time getting my head around that. How much money was just wasted? What the hell were those people doing? What what? How much did he pay for Twitter? I think it was what forty four billion. I think. 
44 billion. He has that kind of money? Uh yeah, he's up into the 100 billions his net worth. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean there there's talk it, it's not going to happen now, but it will probably happen the next boom cycle we get. There's talk of who's going to be the world's first trillionaire. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I just think that's... You know, I don't know if they had that kind of money. I don't think life would be fun anymore because, you know, we work, we work to buy something and, and then we save up to buy the next thing and go where they go on the next trip or whatever. Well... Think about this, Bruce. You know, most people think Elon Musk is just a nerd. I, I think he's a total gearhead. Imagine, you know, you, you know how much you love horsepower and torque. Do, do you know what he's, mm-hmm. do you know what he's sitting on right now? One of the most powerful mm-hmm. engines in the world waiting to launch it. He's got a rocket on oh, the ground okay. right now. It's supposed to launch yesterday. So that's what he gets to do. He gets to go play with whatever he wants to play with cars and rockets. Mm-hmm. And he's building tunnels under cities to move things at, you know, 400 miles an hour in tunnels. Um, I think, and if you watch the guy on Twitter, he's having a ball. I mean, he's always joking on Twitter and um, pretty interesting guy. He's starting another new company, by the way. Do you know how many he has already? I mean, he's got Tesla, obviously, and Tesla is killing everybody when it comes to selling electric cars. Nobody's even close to Tesla. Not, not, none of these companies with huge, huge budgets that have been around 100 years, none of their electric cars even come close. He's got SpaceX, which, you know, NASA and the government tried for decades to bring their rocket launchers back to the pad. Instead, NASA just drops theirs out in the ocean and we spend a gazillion dollars building new ones. Um, Elon Musk has already done it. His rocket launchers come back to the pad and they can be reused. Um, He's got the Boring Company, which is building these Hyperloop tunnels where they can move people and good, not people yet, but goods at hundreds of miles an hour, really efficient. They're doing that. These are big, big projects. Um, What else does Mm -hmm. he have? He probably has a couple of missing. His biggest fear right now, and if I would listen to anybody about this topic, I would listen to him. His biggest fear is artificial intelligence. He said it could destroy mankind. And he is afraid the artificial intelligence that's already out there he said has been programmed all wrong and he's going to start another company. And he said his, his artificial intelligence will be designed. It, it's number one goal will be to understand the world. And he's just afraid of all of these other artificial intelligence technologies um, that are already here. And we have zero regulation. I can't even believe I might be the one to say we need some regulation on this stuff. It's so dangerous. But the problem with that is anytime the government steps in, they'll screw it up anyway. Well, look at what they've done now. Yeah, yeah. This whole mess is, is this whole economic mess is because all the money they spend. Our money. Yeah. All right. Marine gasoline is it. Five dollars and ninety-one cents a gallon. 
for marine non-ethanol gasoline. Diesel's on its way back up, and um, OPEC said they're not going to produce as much, so that'll drive prices up. Um, you know, the last time these prices went way up on diesel, we broke five, I think, and we were up there for a while. It it was almost a non-event in trucking. Think about that. We barely talked about it. And the reason was our rates were so good and there was so much freight, it wasn't that big of a deal. Watch what happens this time. You're right, diesel's on its way back up and rates are on their way down. This is going to get really ugly this time. People should let the freight sit. Uh, well, it is. Uh, well, no, it's not. That's that's what's not going to happen. There are way, way, way too many trucks on the road. It, it's not going to sit. That freight's going to move. People are waiting for loads to show up on the board. I'm talking to brokers on Twitter that their average day used to be four to 500 loads that they had to move. The other day I was talking to a guy who said, we walked in this morning, we had 11 loads. When they normally have four to five hundred, so it, it, the the freight won't sit because there are people that can't afford to let it sit. They have to move anything. So here's what I expect to happen. Back in '08, um, there were a couple big carriers that the freight was so slow they put out a national offer. Anybody anywhere. You want to put freight on our trucks, we'll move it for 80 cents a mile just so they can keep their trucks rolling and keep their drivers paid. Wow. That's going to happen again. I mean, I think we'll get there again. I think the volumes are dropping so fast. 46 years ago, fuel was 25 cents a gallon. Our guys that ran local hauling iron ore and coal were making over a little over a dollar a mile. Yep. 46 years ago. Yep. And we've got. I almost got out of the engine business and bought a truck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, over the years, I've watched accountants go buy trucks because they see these owner operators come in. And, and if you. If you are used to looking at businesses and profit margins, if you don't understand the business, these owner operators look like they have really high profit margins and it looks like a good idea. And I've watched so many accountants go buy trucks and then fail miserably with them. But um, it, we're, we're in for some some pretty rough times right now. Not that the rates are dropping that bad. You know, we're at we're seeing about a buck 50 a mile on the spot market right now, which is low. But there was a time when a buck fifty a mile, I could make money all day long at that kind of rate. Not with today's expenses. Mm-hmm. Trucks are too expensive. Fuel right. is too expensive. Maintenance is too expensive. We've got more downtime. Or we we can't get parts all the time. There are too many issues to try to make money at a buck fifty a mm-hmm. mile right now. And if you're going to make money at a buck fifty a mile, you better have your shit together. You, your fuel economy better be as good as it's going to get. You better have your maintenance cost under control. And there are just a lot of people out in the market right now that don't know how to do that. They can't operate at $1.50 a mile, but they will continue to move that freight till somebody comes and takes their truck away from them. And it takes a long time to repossess a truck. That's what people don't understand. These guys will keep working. They'll stop paying any bill they can get away without paying. They won't pay their taxes. They won't make their truck payments. And they'll just keep running to put 
food on the table until they finally catch up with them and repossess the truck. And in the meantime, they're driving rates down for everybody else. Two years ago, everything was just great. Yep. Yep, sure was. Elections have consequences. When you steal elections, that's a consequence. That's even worse. Okay. All right. Let's... uh, Let's see what Leroy has. Yeah, let's find out. Uh, so what's this? I, I understand somebody on this phone line here is a fan of the Dalai Lama. What's that all about? Yeah, Jordan is uh, continuing the uh, this, the articles uh, from last week that was on, on CNN and all those other news places about the Dalai Lama. So, with, yeah, it's. Yeah, he's continuing to talk about that and bring it up because it was just such a weird story. It, it is one of the most bizarre stories I've ever seen, and it, it didn't get nearly as much coverage or explanation as I thought it should. That was just odd. Yeah, I wasn't going to read the article about it. I just saw the headline and was like, oh, no, that's <laughs> weird. I'm not going to go into that one. I know. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I know. I know you're supposed to read and, you know, look for context and figure out what the article's actually about, not just read the headline, but I wasn't going any further on that one. Yeah, yeah, that uh, the headline was enough there. I, you know me, though, of uh, curiosity. I had to read to see if there was... Oh, no. And, and the explanations were even more weird. That, that Some articles were saying, well, that's just how he is. He's just really fun and friendly. I'm like, that's not fun and friendly. That's just sick. Come on. Maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe that's yeah, fun and friendly. I don't enough. think so. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, it, is Pete with us today? No, he's out today. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, yeah. so what? Uh, what's new and exciting in your world then? Uh, as far as new and exciting, uh, I'm working on trying to tune an old Volvo D12. Um, like I think it's a 07 or something like that, an EGR only engine. Every now and then I get a call about it and I just haven't previously looked into it. Um, but I think Volvo is growing in popularity. So more and more people are digging these up and seeing what they can do with them. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to, uh, get the file out of it one and then see if we can't modify it. You know, Volvo is definitely growing in popularity and if people, start to understand why I think it will happen more. Um, it is that that base architecture that we've talked about that you can't change. I mean, that is the design of the engine. It's surprising to me that more manufacturers aren't catching on to this. This clearly, after we've been through all this and looked at all these designs, this this basic structure of this engine really is better. I mean, it, it, it really is better. The international the new international engine is going to be very similar because the guy at international used to be at volvo and he brought a lot of that that technology over so i think that volvo's getting more popular that's just going to continue to grow because a lot of these other manufacturers are really not looking at changing their engine architecture yet and if you look at what's going on engines are going to be a mess Not only do we have new emission standards again that they're going to be pushing pretty quickly on Class 8 trucks, so that means new technologies, new designs. We've got to scramble to get those right. But at the same time, 
they're pushing these EVs so heavy that the manufacturers are going to be forced to put a lot of R&D into electric vehicles right now. I think this, the next couple of years, could be worse than back in 06, 07, or, or 04 even, because yeah. they, they just don't have the resources to try to meet this next round of emissions and try to get up to speed on electric vehicles all at the same time. Yeah, things are going to get a lot more complex and it's not going to be easy for people to work on their own stuff or technicians in general. Right. I think they're going to have enough time, like you said, resources to get a working solution out the door, but it's going to be a solution that only the engineers that built it know how it works. Right. Just like the last couple of rounds, yeah. this happens every time we get a new round of standards, they rush them. Why didn't it, we could have laid out this same roadmap we're doing right now back in 03. Why didn't we? That They should have known this was where they were going. We could have had an entire roadmap for all of these changes instead of getting these things two or three years before they have to be out on the road. Well, I think to be fair, I think that's what they're trying to do. And I've seen, if you look up like on the EPA's website, they have all the comments from the manufacturers where the EPA proposes a rule for 2027 and then they allow, you know, comments or questions, concerns from the manufacturers. And a lot of the manufacturers are voicing that these emission standards are too strict and we're not going to be able to do this. And they're like, well, as far out as EVs are infrastructure wise, hydrogen's even further out. So like, we don't really know what you want us to do. So then I think it's a big slow moving machine of, you know, they make a rule and then they complain about it and then they go back and they think about it. Then it's just, it's just a big slow moving machine. It it is is what I think. Let's think about something. 2027 model year trucks come out when about March or April of 26, don't they? Yeah, usually something like that. that's three years to come up with. all, And nobody even knows what technology they're going to use to do this. I, I can't imagine that I think we're, we're trying start. to cram this much into that short of a timeline again. I think they're going to start trying to roll stuff out in 24 and 25, like not the whole kit and caboodle, but <laughs> right. maybe like it, cylinder deactivation as a big thing. So let me know. ask you something. You work on these things all day long. Would you buy one of those trucks in 24 or 25? Um, it depends on what it's equipped with. I think the cylinder deactivation is a pretty neat concept. Um, I don't think it's entirely effective, but um, for what they're at least they're shooting for. But I don't think I would buy the dual SCR one. Um, I think that's just going to be a mess. And They've even said in their rules and their comments that the you know two SCRs are going to use roughly twice as much depth. So if you're getting 180 miles per gallon right now, you should expect to get 90 in in a new truck. Wow. So let let's I think mean, about that because if we go back through the other the the times where we had to meet certain emissions, you know, normally. If you go back and look, there was one solution that almost everybody was using, and then somebody else thought they had a better idea. So we can go back and look at international, 
when they decided they were going to double, well, not quite double, but they were going to increase the amount of EGR. Remember, they were calling it EEGR, enhanced exhaust gas recirculation. Mm -hmm. And they were bringing a bunch more of it back in so that they didn't have to use DEF. That was their thing. They thought if we don't have to use DEF, drivers will like our trucks better. Fleets will like it better. They won't have to mess with those chemicals. Well, we know what happened with that. It was a horrible failure. CAT, when they decided EGR wasn't the way to go, they were going to develop their own technology. They don't even make engines for on highway anymore. So anybody who's tried to go against, you know, the, the major technology has failed so far. And I mean, what's sort of ironic about your story is if you look at the new S13, it's 180 degrees of what they initially tried. Now they're going no EGR and dual SCR. <laughs> so they're like, yeah. we're, we're not going to try to fix the NOx problem in right. cylinder. We're going to okay. fix it afterwards. Yeah. So now you're going to get a truck. Oh, yeah, it's 23 to 1 compression. Um, you know, no EGR. The engine is great. You know, makes very little PM, gets good fuel mileage. But you're going to be getting like 40 to 50 miles per gallon on def. Right. And then you're going to have all those other associated problems because you don't have EGR. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't know if this is the same problem just repeated or so, I don't know what's going to happen with that. Here's my thing. So we've already got like California's putting laws in place. The federal government's pushing hard for it. The way they're forcing this is they are going to force the manufacturers to produce so many electric vehicles. And then there are um, they have to sell so many electric vehicles that that's they are going to screw this up so bad. But if they're going to do that and they are, if they're going to push us that hard into these electric vehicles that fast, then why not just drop all these other standards for internal combustion engines? Why not just leave them alone? They're cleaner than they've ever been by a long shot. They're really clean right now. Why don't we just leave them alone and make the transition to electric if that's what they're going to force us into? Why are we being forced to do both? I mean, without knowing the for sure answer, I just, I suspect money, you know, yeah. somewhere along the line, somebody's making a lot of money off the EV stuff. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, emissions is an issue, is an issue, but I think there's a lot of, other cheaper solutions that you could do that, I mean, I frank, frankly, I don't think people want to hear, but I mean, there's, there's other ways to solve the emissions issue, but I don't think that's the reason that they're doing it. I think it's, I think it comes down to a money thing. Yep. It absolutely does. No doubt. All right. Uh, anybody, but, have a, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I actually had a sort of a brief topic I wanted to go over okay. today. Yeah. Uh, sort of a back, a short back to basic segment. Um, so, and it's funny that Bruce brought up about the Detroit's three and four, because that's a little bit about what this is about. So I use terminology on the show every now and then. And when I talk to people on the phone or when they're here, and sometimes I don't think that they quite know what exactly I'm talking about. So just kind of wanted to dive into three different terminologies, three different words and kind of explain what they mean. <clears throat> So the first one is pulse width. If we're talking about pulse width on a 60 series, we're talking about the amount of fuel injected. So in order for the injector to put fuel into the engine, it has to be energized or 
voltage has to be sent to it from the ECM. And if you think about a circle is 360 degrees, right? And when we say an injector is on for 30 degrees of pulse width, what we're saying is out of that 360 degree circle, the injector is on for 30 degrees of that. And the, the shorter the pulse width or the lower the degree number, the less fuel it goes in. And if we want to add more power than stock, usually we add five to seven degrees um, onto it. That's going to give you more power or more fuel into the cylinder. Um, so yeah, just simply pulse width is just the amount of fuel put in per degrees of crankshaft rotation. Does that make sense so far? It does. That's a good explanation. Thank okay. you. The next one is a little bit harder that I talk about sometimes is split injection. Um, I brought this up many times and I talked to people about it with ACERTs. I talked to people about it with ISXs, uh, Detroit's, uh, 60 series and DD15s. And split injection on series 60s were, were meant to be a good thing, but most of the time they just cause issues. So what a split injection is, is if we go back to the pulse width sort of theory, right? Where you have 30 degrees of, of pulse width. A split injection takes that 30 degrees and breaks it up into two different injections. It splits it up. So you might have five degrees of, or yeah, five degrees of pulse width. And then there's a delay, maybe of 10, 15 degrees of crankshaft rotation. And then it puts the other 25 in. The main reason to do this is to shorten the ignition delay. The ignition delay is the time between when the injector starts to inject fuel, the starts to spray, and when combustion actually begins to happen. So there is a delay there. And when you put a little bit of fuel in first, like during a pilot injection, it warms up the cylinder so that when you put your main injection in later, that it's spraying fuel into an already warm cylinder and you don't get the sharp pressure rise um, from, from that big injection like you normally would. The, the sharp pressure rise is what gives diesels like that big knock, like the fuel knockdown. Yeah. But go ahead. You, I was just going to say, as you're talking about this and I'm trying to picture it in my mind, the one thing I think that might help people, you talk about a, a, a 15 or a, a small pulse width, then a, a delay, and then another shot of fuel. We are and it's like 15 degrees on the crank. We're talking milliseconds between these events, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if you wanted to figure out mathematically, you, you could do that. But, I mean, I think even milliseconds is a bit long. I think yeah, if you were right, to kind of what I'm trying to get to that, you know, you're saying you're good, this is going to happen. And then later this is going to happen, but we are talking about things that are happening really fast here. Yeah. So, so I guess a good example would be if you were to, I know this because this is a table in an ISX engine at full power, at full fuel, as much fuel as an ISX can put in, I mean, more than we would do on a tune, right? At full load the amount of time that the injector is on is between one to two and a half milliseconds. Yeah. That, so yeah. if we're talking about a pilot injection at idle, we're talking tenths for hundredths of a millisecond. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And yeah. So like I said, the, the primary reason is 
is just to warm up that cylinder. Now you can also use it for like cat did. It reduces NOx because you put a little bit of fuel in and you let it burn. You're diluting the cylinder with burned exhaust, AKA EGR. It's <laughs> right. not the IVA that are EGR on a lot of people think it's the IVAs that are like the EGR synonym on an Acer. It's actually the split injection and it reduces power. It reduces fuel economy. It does all these things, but it also reduces NOx. Like many of NOx reduction technologies like EGR, they, they make performance worse. Um, and it's when they implemented this on a 60 series, they just never worked that well. Mainly because it's you know mechanically bound because it's a unit injector on a camshaft, and you don't have the type of control like you do with a common rail injector. And two, there's just not enough inputs or processing power to really make this happen live time appropriately. Because if you have a pilot injection that's just a little bit out of place, you'll see like 60 series will stumble at idle, they'll smoke, they'll burble, they'll do all sorts of strange things and people will chase it down as oh i got an injector issue i got this or that and it's a lot of times it's just split injection i remember years and years ago when ethan and i and fernando were here and we were trying to figure out um an issue with a truck in the shop it was a cab over with a 60 series and as soon as you would start this thing it would start up fine and they would have a big cloud of gray smoke and then it would clear up and the guy's just like, I want this to go away. I can't tell you how long we chase this thing around for until we finally found there's a parameter in the ECM that literally says split after start mode. It goes into a really? split injection after it starts. <laughs> you turn that off, the engine starts perfectly. Got it. I mean, I don't want to even explain the number of things that we did to try to clear that up. But Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. so I, I see split injections from time to time, but I try to, uh, I'm trying to clear that up. So, I mean, does, does that kind of all make sense so far or it does? Yeah, it does. I think that was a good explanation. So Ethan, this Richard Scurry that, uh, JR just did a tune on. That's why his truck now idles smoother and is quieter because apparently JR went in and fixed that split injection problem. Yeah, a lot of 60 series have uh, split injections turned on already, and we pretty much always turn them off on every single one. Because like I said, they're not really that well controlled. Even in a patent from Detroit that I can I can put up on Trucking Tribe, they say on like the DDEC2 ECMs that they were more than two, the ECM is more than two cycles behind on processing power. So the engine is going through its cycles. The engine is running the ECM is actually lagging behind. That's how slow that old DDEC2 was. And wow. the 3.4 is much better, has a 36-tooth-tone um, wheel versus a 6-tone-tooth wheel. So it's faster, but it still lags behind, and it just has a really hard time um, keeping up with that split injection strategy and appropriately putting it where it needs to be. I mean, ignition delay is always a moving target, based on like charge temperature in cylinder temp, whether there was some, you know, exhaust gas left over from the last cycle. Um, the, the fuel that goes into the fuel quant, the fuel quality. I mean, that's one of the reasons 
for thetane is to, to shorten that ignition delay. It improves the quality of fuel. So, I mean, the ECM having to chase a moving target around, it has to be really good at it. And it's really hard. Diesel combustion is, is always a moving target. And the 60 series trying to do split injections, it just doesn't work. I wish it could, but it just doesn't work. So now you're, you've answered a lot of questions of why the max mileage fuel catalyst quiets engines down because uh, according to Southwest Research, who did the study, and that was way before I met Dr. Gene Gates, uh, they determined that instead of firing in 15 degrees of crank rotation, it fires in 10 degrees. So the catalyst is actually helping the ECM catch up to where it needs to be on these older engines. Right. So like in that case, if you have, if you look at how long your, your injection duration is from the time the injection starts to the end of combustion, that's like your, your combustion duration. So the catalyst, what it does when it shortens the ignition delay, which is part of that whole duration, when you shorten that, everything is, is shorter. Like you're saying, it's going from 15 to 10. So it's reducing the ignition delay by five degrees. And it's really just doing that, like I said, um, where also everyone knows what I'm talking about when we hear like a 7.3 clatter or like a Detroit. I mean, when you pull up next one, you can hear it. You hear that, you know, real loud sort of um, knock, what a lot of times people say. The knock is the sudden pressure rise in the cylinder. The sudden pressure rise in the cylinder is caused from when that injector sprays and it starts to mix, it's, it's not mixed evenly. If it was m- mixed evenly, diesel engines would have like a 60 or 70% thermal efficiency. But what you're going to have is you're going to have localized rich pockets and you're going to have some lean pockets. The lean pockets will burn a lot faster than the rich pockets. So when you put a pilot injection in or you improve the fuel quantity, the the lean pockets that burn really fast, that's what makes the big spike. And if you can reduce either the, the amount of, um, what I want to say, the temperature at which the fuel lights or you heat up the cylinder, both of that will lower that initial pressure rise and it'll make the engine quieter. If you have an ISX and you turn off the pilot injection, it actually sounds like a an old N14 or signature. Um, it, it's kind of crazy to hear how effective that strategy really is. It's not good for making power or anything like that, but it certainly quiets the engine, and that's why Detroit decided to do it. Kevin, you were talking about the Max Force International engine. And it's amazing what the catalyst has done to save that engine. And people are buying some of those old trucks now for pennies on a dollar and using the max mileage catalyst. And that old max force is, is running okay now. You know, if that's the case, um, heading into the market we're heading into, it, it might not be a bad idea to go find some of and see if we could pick them up really cheap and keep them running reasonably right. well. Yeah, it, it might be worth it um, if that's the case. You know, a, a couple things I, I was thinking about here as you guys were talking about all this. So let's think about the Series 60. That engine, I believe, came out in 1985. 
uh, if I remember right, 85 or 86. Um, I had uh, one of those really early, and I've had a lot of them, probably maybe the most popular diesel engine ever made in this country. I'm not sure. It's got to be right up there. So think about that. It's been around for a couple decades, one of the most popular engines made, so there's more of them than anything. And here are two issues that you've identified, and after all this time, I'll bet 99% of the shops in the country, if I asked them either one of these questions, they would not be able to answer me. If I asked them about the BKMK issue, they would look at me like I had three heads. If I had a problem with my Series 60 starting and stumbling and doing all kinds of funky stuff, the odds of them ever finding that split injection issue, about zero in my mind. So, you know, we talk all the time about troubleshooting and finding a good shop and good mechanics. And Leroy, you talked about you don't even want to try to explain how much time you spent trying to figure out that issue. But that's what makes a really, really good shop and a mechanic, that kind of work to find problems that nobody else will be able to find. And the, the, the frustrating thing about it is why, I mean, I enjoy engines and figuring this sort of stuff out. Problems to me and problem solving is like what I live for. But you shouldn't have to, as a shop, go dig through their patent library to figure out how the engine works. <laughs> they give you really basic troubleshooting. If, right. if you have a stumble issue, they'll say, oh, replace the fuel filter, do this, do this, do this. And, you know, what do you got? Right. It still does it. It's right. always going to do it because of the program you put in there. Yeah. So why why do they make this information not accessible to their technicians? Even when we go through the the Cummins training we have here, since we're a dealer, we have access to, you know, dealer level Cummins training. They don't touch on any sort of this stuff, but it's really the the foundational knowledge you you know should possess as somebody that does advanced troubleshooting. Absolutely. Yeah. No, well, let's think about this. Let's think about the OEMs. You know, you're you're wondering why they aren't doing a better job of conveying all this information to technicians and shops. And that's a, a pretty big project. They should be doing it. It would help us all. Let's think about something much simpler that they don't do. Think about the specs we talk about on the show and we've been talking about for years and we keep pushing limits. And as they come out with new engine designs, we keep finding new specs. The specs we talk about on the show are not the norm. You probably don't find the specs we talk about in 10% of the trucks. And yet they're better. We can prove they're better. They're better for fuel economy. They're better for maintenance. They're better for performance. And yet try to find a dealer somewhere that knows how to spec their trucks right. They don't. The dealers don't know how to spec their trucks right. Why not? The OEM would only have to teach that once or twice a year as they bring out new models, and then you should know how to spec these things right. They don't, though. I think it would do nothing but help their own business by educating (laughs) people because you get such a bad rap, like Volvo for so many years had such a bad rap Nobody wanted to buy their stuff because nobody could fix their trucks. Right. You know, and it's it's not necessarily their design fault. It's well, because they taught nobody how to fix anything and they keep everything so tight lit. 
Well, and I will tell you of all the manufacturers right now and what we're talking about, teaching your dealers how to spec the truck right in the beginning, and then we won't have as many maintenance problems. Um, Volvo is about the only one doing it, and they're just barely scratching the surface with it. But you can now go to a Volvo dealer and say, I want an efficiency spec, and you actually get a really well-spec truck. Finally, they're finally starting to do that. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, the truck was sort of designed, right? Like you said, the engine is designed to run at lower RPMs. It has, Much you know, all the right, right. architecture. right. It that's it was made for that. I mean, even if you look at the turbo compound system that it does, it's that's not new technology. Everyone has done it, right? It, like I've talked about months ago. I mean, when the DD15 did it, they you could kind of say that they geared it to work at higher RPMs because yeah. their goal was to to fill in and add extra horsepower on the high RPM side, so you Which get sort of mistake. free 50 horsepower at the top, right? Versus doing it at the bottom where you want to be downsped anyway and then recover the extra exhaust gas and turn it into energy it makes just more sense. It, it, it does. And there, there are fuel mileage issues around this and maintenance issues. When we run those engines downsped that much, fuel economy goes up. We, we've proven that many times. Maintenance cost goes down. We're keeping a lot of heat in the engine. When you run down at those low RPMs, there's more heat. And the heat is good for the emissions. When when you are trying to access that additional horsepower from the turbo compounding on the Detroit, you're accessing it way up high in the RPM range, and we're losing heat, and then the emissions start to falter. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the big things that is uh, a fuel-wasting technology is like I say all the time, is especially in the Cummins engines, is they uh, they purposely put the engine in a mode to make exhaust heat. Imagine the fuel that you have to spend five six dollars a gallon on right. being wasted just, right. just to make exhaust heat. Yeah, that's all it's doing. It, it's not doing work for you. Correct. Design the engine properly, and it will make that heat while it's making plenty of torque for you, so the truck's very drivable and getting good fuel economy. And I mean, I, I think to be fair to Cummins, sometimes the package that they put the truck into is is not up to them. Like when Volvo makes a truck, they make, um, you know, a Volvo truck with a Volvo engine and the after treatment. Oh, they you're right. design yeah. it all. Right. Cummins, Cummins will put an X15 in, in a square nose and then you have, yeah, <laughs> you have all these different after treatment configurations where the SCR feels like it's five miles away. Yeah. So from the exhaust. So yeah, you're going to have a lot of temp issues when you have to fill that much exhaust pipe with heat and it's so far away. That's a good point. To keep it more than 400 degrees all the time, it's just difficult where it's placed. Right. Now that's not Cummins fault. That's the, the OEM who made the truck. That's Packard's fault. That's a good point. You know, we, we've all kind of complained about this, all, all this proprietary technology. And because we were used to being able to buy any truck with any engine, with any transmission, with any differentials, and you can't do that anymore. It's proprietary. But I, I as much as we don't like it, I, I think it had to be that way. These vehicles are too complicated now with all these emissions and new technologies. They're too complicated to be able to build modular like that. They they have to build that truck from the back to the front to make it work right. 
Yeah, I mean, to, to optimize it, yeah, I mean, it'll work, but it just is not going to, right. uh, you know, work that well or whatnot. So Which is I why think we're going to see it with Baines right. there being Cummins bought Meritor. I, I, I have been speculating that Cummins, you know, buying Meritor makes sense. I think either some OEM, and, and obviously the, the one that makes the most sense would be Packard, Packard should either buy Cummins or Cummins should buy Packard and be done with it. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> and then make that the proprietary Packard system. Some Because right now, the two engines you can get in a Packard both suck, honestly, in my opinion. The ISX is not good architecture. It's going to get worse as the emissions get tougher. And the Packard engine has been a mess. And when we look at the Packard engine, it does not have good architecture either. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that the, the ISX necessarily sucks. I mean, it has its downfalls, just like everything else. I mean, but oh, I think one of the things that it has going for it is just the, the support that it has. I mean, everybody will work on a, a Cummins, but right. not everybody will work on DD15. I mean, DD15s, I think, have the market share, and it's hard to find people to even That's a good work point. on DD15. They do have the market we share. Get, they sell way more of those than they sell car engines. Or, or even ISX. And I mean, we, sometimes we try to set up remote tuners and we're like, oh, well, you know, we offer DD15 tuning. Like, oh, I don't work on those. <laughs> we need to work on them. It's the most popular engine. more of those. Yeah. And they're just like, no, I, I don't do that. I only do, you know, this, so, uh, this, this, this. You know, I only do cat coming. Here's an interesting thing. We are, I'm going to bring this back to the economy because I'm trying to tell owner operators, you have to start thinking about what you're saying. When the economy is good, really good, and you're a business owner, you can be picky. You get to say, look, I don't want to go to New York City anymore. I hate New York City. I'm not going north of I-40 in the wintertime. You can do that. It, when, when the times are good, you can do that. When times are tough as a business owner, you better stop those kind of statements. That's the same thing here. I don't work on that engine. It's the most popular engine in the country. Why wouldn't you work on it? Well, you wouldn't because the economy was so good you didn't have to. You could be picky. You better rethink that strategy, though. Yeah, I mean, a lot of shops out there, they're only working on old cat stuff because that's what they enjoy. I mean, yeah, I guess that's that's the engines you enjoy, but there's fewer and fewer of them every year. Yeah. If you can make it work, more yeah. power to you. But I, I don't think it's going to work in this economy we're heading into. Kevin, did you see you can buy a new 6NZ, almost new 6NZ from Caterpillar now? It's a new block, crank, head. They Because of the EPA, they had to put some reman parts in it. But it is, uh, it's 80 or 90% all new, brand new parts. Wow. $50,000, and you have to order it. Yeah. Too bad you can't get a glider anymore to put them in. <laughs> yeah, and I understand that uh, they're doing something with a C-16 now. So Caterpillar is not out of the out of the equation yet. They're, they're coming back. All right. Hey, I, uh, we've been chatting away here for an hour, and I just looked at da- looked down. Every phone line we have is filled. We should probably start answering some questions. So we're going to get to, uh, yeah, it is. We're going to get to Alabama. Jerry, welcome to the program. Morning. 
Well, you spit it out, Kevin, spit it out. You know, I uh, was I called in right when the show first started, and I guess I'm not sure who at Pittsburgh Power I'm talking to. Is it Ethan or Leroy? <laughs> Leroy. I, I think, yeah. Sometimes we get confused. It's who? It's Leroy. Okay, Leroy. Well, Bruce a little while ago said Ethan, and I thought, well, hell, I missed the missed the introduction there. I, I you kind of threw me for a loop, no, Bruce. So no, no, I didn't say that. Lee, Leroy said that he and Ethan and oh. Fernando were working on a project. All right, all right. Well, anyway, Leroy, I have a uh, engine fan question that is extremely complicated. I'll try to make it clear as mud for you. This is on a. Uh, a 2007 Kenworth with an ISX. The ISX is a 570 platform. However, the all the electronics are still the 870 platform. It's also got the 870 ECM. I have a long-term intermittent problem with my engine fan coming on when it's not needed. It's so intermittent, I haven't been able to figure it out. Some of the things I've done is I did replace the electric solenoid that turns the fan on and off. Completely unrelated to that, I was looking for an air leak, and the line going from that solenoid to the fan was leaking, so I replaced it. The fan switch in the cab for override appears to be working quite normally. If you need a fan, you can turn it on in the cab. I have replaced the uh, air conditioner high-pressure fan switch. Is there a possibility there's something in the ECM that could be doing that, or is there a switch I'm missing? Now, the real problem is with it, the real odd part of it is that it's 90% of the time when it happens, it's when it's bitter cold out. You start of the morning, and it'll be... 10 below zero, and you'll be just fine, and an hour down the road, all of a sudden, the engine fan comes on. You pull off of a ramp, shut the truck off for a minute, turn it back on, and it's fine. You may go for another hour, and it won't come back on, and then all of a sudden, it'll come back on with no warning. Maybe it'll go back off by itself, and maybe you have to pull over and shut it off again. Now, last week, it was quite warm in Illinois, and it I started out in the morning, I was an hour down the road, and all of a sudden the engine fan came on and didn't seem to want to shut off at all, and ever since then it's been just fine. What the hell's going on? Yeah, I mean, well, obviously inter intermittent problems are really annoying, and they're almost impossible to find without close monitoring until you catch it doing it. So, I mean, if we break this down into a list of things that it could be, and a list of plausible things, um, first is the ECM will turn the fan on if it sees an input telling itself. Uh, example is the manual fan switch or the AC uh, high pressure switch. Either one of those inputs will want to kick the fan on. The next thing is the connection from the ECM to the fan. So the fan should default into the on position because that's, that's the safer position if the fan was to have an issue. They, they designed them to do that purposely. So, if the it depends on if you have a 12 volt on solenoid or you have a zero volt on solenoid either way i can't answer i can't answer that right off the top of my head right so if, let's just say it's it's a 12 volt um solenoid that keeps the fan off so when there's 12 volts at the solenoid the no airflow can pass through when the fan is off so the ecm will i think on that supplies the power to it 
and the other side goes to like a campground or something. So the okay. ECM will supply constant power until um, it wants the fan on and then it shuts the power off, which kicks the fan on. So if that connection from the ECM to the fan solenoid breaks for any reason, if you have intermittent wiring, it'll, t- it'll kick the fan on. But in that case, it seems less plausible because if it's an intermittent wiring problem, it would sort of kick on, kick off, kick on, kick off, kind of one of those deals. Not necessarily stay on for you know, several right. minutes or sometimes you said it doesn't sound like it goes off. Um, from there, I did have an issue with an 870 years ago. We actually had a magazine article about it a long time ago. I remember helping Bruce, what Bruce and I wrote about it. That okay. the MOSFET that supplies the power uh, to the output pin, so basically the driver inside of the ECM that supplies power to the fan, um, had an issue. I don't know if that, that MOSFET just was worn out or what it was. I'm not a semiconductor scientist. I don't know what happened on the inside. But anyways, you could just simply say it was the ECM having an internal issue that was keeping the fan on. So it's either the inputs, the wiring, or the ECM itself. Why would temperature affect it when it's bitter cold out and it works fine for an hour and then all of a sudden it doesn't, and obviously it's kind of a rhetorical question because there's probably not an answer. That's that's what's baffling me is why is it 90% of the time happen when it's only bitter cold out? If it's if it's an ECM internal issue, like I said, with the MOSFET, um, transistors in general and semiconductors are really affected by temperature. And we've had issues with ECMs where you could put it in the freezer and they don't work, or you can take a heat gun to them and they don't work. Sometimes it's uh, solder joints that crack. When solder joints are cold and they're cracked, they there's a gap that um, grows, right? And then when they heat up, the solder joint heats up as the ECM heats up, they come back together. It can Dang. be stuff like that, or it can just be the MOSFET itself just is a temperature effect. That's just the nature of them. But with an, I guess an ECM can go bad any time. I guess I can't imagine one with 2.6 million miles on it would ever go bad. I mean, yeah, that's kind of weird to have that many uh, that much time on it, and it still works perfect. Right. Well, so what would you suggest I do then? Is that is the ECM something that you can look at internally? Well, I guess I've checked all the connections first, but and with it being so intermittent, so I'll get all the connections all checked and everything, and then it work fine for a month, and then it all of a sudden will come back on again. So my question is: is the is the ECM internally something you can look at on a Cummins. So if it were if it were my truck, well, I guess to answer your question up front before I go off on a tangent, yes, we can look on the inside of them. Um, two, the, my, if this was my truck, how I would fix it was I would get some sort of scan tool that can look at your uh, input switches, all the inputs to the ECM. Not all of them you need to look at, but you need to look at the AC pressure switch and the manual fan switch. So as you're going down the road and you notice what it's like when the fan is off, let's say it says manual fan switch off, AC pressure switch off. You know, that's the normal condition. If you see it kick on, like the AC pressure switch kick on and then the fan comes on, you know it's something on the input side. If you see the fan come on or you hear the fan come on and you see that those two inputs are the same, you can eliminate that as a solution. The next thing I would do is I would run a new wire and pin from the ECM output to the fan solenoid just to verify that it wasn't that. 
Okay. And then from there, if it still did it, I would buy probably a used test DCM. Uh, 870 ECMs are pretty solid. They're pretty bulletproof. I don't see a lot of issues with them. Sometimes I hear stuff like this. But I would probably just buy a used one off of eBay or like a little junkyard or something. Get a carbon copy to the same thing that's in your ECM and then uh, try it from there. I mean, all the things that it can be is inputs, ECM, wiring, and fan solenoid. That's all the things okay. it can be. <laughs> well, that's a problem. If that was my truck, I'd bring it in and give it to Leroy and say, fix it. Well, that's a problem because I don't think you want me on your lot. Oh. Yeah. No, we, we can work on the fan. That's um all right. That's all right. That. Yeah. It's an eight. Yeah. It's a five seventy signature six hundred uh, Cummins recon engine in a two thousand seven truck. But even more complicated, it had some pixie dust scattered on it at Pittsburgh Power quite a number of years ago when it was still an eight seventy. So I didn't know whether you'd even look at it or not. Yeah. yeah no, we're we're okay just to look at the fan stuff. I mean, if it goes any further than that, then we're not going right. to. All right. All right. Well, I'll, uh, yeah, if you do that, I might just do that then. But if I did all the wiring and stuff, then I could actually send the ECM in maybe and have you look at it externally or something. Yeah, we can do that as well. And I think, hell, I could go back in our shop and he's got a whole trailer load of used engines. He might have an 870 out there with an ECM I could put on there. I'm not sure. I'll just have to ask. So. Yeah, and I guess the whole thing about. Um, get the ECM and um, sorry, go ahead, Bruce. Get the ECM and send it to Leroy and let him copy yours, and so we can make that identical, so that everything works the same, and then put it on. Yeah, yeah, okay. How would you copy mine? You'd have to be a remote tuner though to copy mine. Yeah, we can copy it at a remote tuner. Okay. All right. Well, that gave me some food for thought. I got I can check some wiring and some pins and stuff, and I'm not sure I'm smart enough to get a scan tool in here and watch it going down the road. I have trouble even doing a smartphone, so I'm not sure that's an option, but I guess I could have somebody show me how to do it. Yeah, it's, uh... it's like a goofy little handheld uh, diagnostic tool. Is there like a goofy little like a handheld? What brand would you recommend, Leroy? Uh, I just accidentally dropped Leroy. Um, I'm trying to get him back right now. All right. Yeah. yeah it, go ahead and throw the phone. I need to get checked out here anyway. Kevin, I got to go anyway. So. Yeah. It, no it, problem. It was me. I was trying to move on because uh, no problem. Phone, phone lines are just hammered here. We are buried. Um, we're getting Leroy back Kevin, right now. Go ahead, Bruce. You hear what he said about a crack in the spotter joint? Yeah. Expanding and contracting. Wouldn't wow. that make you crazy? Yeah. Can't even imagine. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. We've uh, we, we, we've got him back. Hey, Leroy, that was me. Sorry. No, I figured. I canceled you. <laughs> I canceled you, um, but we got you back. We're going to go to Ohio. Phone lines are just slammed. Herschel, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. What can we help you with today? Well, I had well, I had a customer this morning that needed help with a remote tune, so I met him, and JR took care of his problem and got him all fixed up. But 
while I was getting all my equipment out of the case that your tablet comes in when you buy it from Pittsburgh to be a tuner, I come across a wire that dumbass me never paid any attention to before. I actually have the, of course, I have the computer and all the wires to hook everything up, the round ones, of course, but the Volvo Mac needs the OBD2 to plug in to the truck. I actually have that wire. I didn't even, I don't know why, I never noticed it before, because I have a Volvo now. So this would be for Leroy. Does that now mean that you can do stuff for me with this Volvo? Because I actually do have the wire that plugs into the next queue, or however you say that word. Yeah, so I mean, as far as do stuff, um, we can do some sort of basic diagnostics through JPro. Um, the actual Volvo PTT software we don't offer on that laptop. I mean, we can get you set up with the deal, like a Volvo dealer, to get your own software to give you OEM um, access, uh, like on a basic level. And then when it comes to doing tuning, we you won't be able to do it through that adapter. There's a another separate tool that you have to have to actually be able to read and write the the ECM itself. But with what you have, you can do diagnostics and regens and tests and stuff like that with it. Interesting. Okay, so, and nobody take anything the wrong way. This is not throwing anybody under a bus. Last week on the Friday show, in generality, we were talking about tunings and what some places do. And it was stated, of course, that some places, and you guys were not brought up, just simply add power at way high RPM so it runs like a rape tape, but you lose economy and efficiency because of when the power is brought on. Are you able to tune the D13 so that it gets its additional power, torque, and can you gain efficiency with a custom tune on the D13? Yeah, so I guess that's a a multi-part question. Um, the first part is you said about just adding power in one certain region. So if we look at the ECM tables on the inside, what we're actually modifying. So when you push the pedal down as a driver, you're asking the ECM for a certain torque request, right? You are asking for, you know, as much torque as that engine's rated for or some sort of percentage of it based on your input and the accelerator pedal. So there are tables inside of there that, like on a D13, the tables look like this. They have one axis that is a vertical axis that is the RPM from 600 to 2300 RPM in 100 degree increments. So you have 1,000, 1,100, 1,200, 13. In the column next to it is the E to the torque for the torque request. So if you wanted at 1,000 RPM to have 2,000 foot-pounds of torque, we would just type in 2779 newton meters because, you know, of course, they're European. They use newton meters, not torque. If you wanted more in the upper RPM range, we could just make those numbers higher there. I can make that torque curve look however you want. If you want more power in the bottom half, we'll increase those numbers in the bottom half. If you are a heavy haul guy 
and you want it in the upper half, we'll put higher numbers in the upper half. And like Joel talks about when he goes into the attractive effort graphs and sort of things like that, we do all that. At least I do all of that. Um, so we plug in your gear ratios, your tire size, yada, yada, yada. And we look for where the graphs intersect. And when we build our tor torque curves, we want to make sure that we don't put one in there that, like you said, it, you have to tack the engine up in order to get any sort of power out of it. Or he feels like when you shift, you lose all your power. That's like one right. part of the question. Sometimes you can gain, it seems like people gain efficiency from having just straight more power. No other changes. Um, it's like that sometimes. I can't quite explain why, because it sort of goes against like laws of aerodynamics, it seems like, but it, it, it works. I don't know if it's because they can get up the hill faster or however the math checks out. Now, when it comes to the actual gaining efficiency through a custom tune, you're looking for areas of inefficiency in the calibration that the, comes from the OEM, whether it's too much VGT position, not enough rail pressure, too little timing, a pilot injection that's here, a post injection that's there, fuel wasting modes, split injections, all sorts of stuff that goes into the overall combustion recipe that makes the engine run the way that it does. When we find inefficiencies in there, we can modify them and make them so that the engine is more efficient. Sometimes we get bigger gains in other engines than some because some are just naturally really inefficient from the factory. Like EGR-only engines, as we talked about earlier, they ran a lot of EGR. We're talking 30 40% of EGR. And they ran next to no ignition timing. I mean, we're... We're talking negative six, negative eight degrees of timing on some engines and even more. Um, just fixing sort of areas like that is where you can pick up the efficiencies from. If we want to set a power or a tor torque curve however you want for your application, we can do that. It's not just a can tune where we just apply like a flat 20% percentage to the whole map and we just call it a day. I mean, we can do that, but that's not what we do on most engines. Okay, this one is set at 500 horse, 1,700 on the torque, which is kind of low, respectively, for other engines, if you will. I really don't want to mess up efficiency because since I've had this thing back in September, and since I've had it lifetime, it's 8.27, if I remember correctly, at the last fill-up lifetime. So it's doing really good there, but... If a few more pounds of torque and a custom tune makes it better, well, I mean, what do you think? I mean, is it you have confidence that we can make it better? Do you think? Um, I wonder if uh, one of our dealers, Patrick Anderson, is listening. I did a Volvo tune for him months and months ago, and I would be curious to see how it was going. Um, it, the Volvo tuning for me is pretty new. Like I said, previously they weren't very popular and no one would touch them with a 10-foot pole. And now all of a sudden they're coming out of woodwork and everyone seems to be buying one. So I don't have a lot of experience as far, as far as finding all the inefficiencies. I've done maybe a dozen Volvos now and sort of with mixed results as far as efficiency go. Some people brought, brought their Volvo to me and they say, hey, or Volvo or Mac. 
They're just like, I just want more power. I don't really care about efficiency. This thing's just a dog. So not all the ones I've done have just been for fuel efficiency. But the nice thing about your situation, you're saying, hey, can we add a little bit more power and gain some mileage? I mean, we can sure try. And if it doesn't work out, we'll put it back to the way that it was. And sort of no harm, no foul. Okay, can you do that? You say I have to have a different wire of some kind. How do I get this yeah, wire we, if you want to get into it and play around with it? Uh, we can get hooked up after the show. Um, we can go over the details of getting you the, the tooling and the cabling needed to do that. Yeah, the, the other thing that I don't want to do, I mean, this thing has no warranty. It's an 18 with 586 on the clock. So that's not really, I don't care about that. But if I had to go to Volvo because of whatever problem that only they can look at, I really don't want them to plug in. Oh, God, that don't look like our tune. Oh, we got to change it. And then who knows where I'm at. Yeah, most dealers, I would say probably 99.9% of the dealers aren't going to pick it up because it's, we don't make it obvious. There are some, yeah. I would say, parking lot tuners like, uh, for example, they, they used to do this a lot with 60 series was they would go into the data plate, which is where the engine displays how much horsepower and torque it is. And they would make it say 650. So when you hook up to it at the dealer, they say, Oh, what's this thing rated for? It'll say 650 and 2200. They'd actually never changed any of the fueling or torque request parameters. They just made it say 650. And that's really obvious to a dealer. As soon as they see that, they're like, oh, this is obviously a, a tune truck. They never made a D13 with 600 horsepower, you know, void, void, uh, warranty voided. You know, we're not helping you, yada, yada, yada. But if we don't change that sort of stuff, unless they were to pull the program in the same sort of way that we do, which dealers don't do, then they would never be able to know. Interesting. What do you think, Kevin? Yes. Okay. I agree with everything well, Leroy, I... he said, and to try to explain anything any further would just be futile. Okay. Well, Leroy, I think you have my number since I'm a tuner. Give me a call when you have some time. We'll talk about it. Yeah, I will do that. All right. Oh, All righty, sir. Thank you. I can't believe it. I just did it again. I just hung up on Leroy. You so, did it again. I did. Bye, it Leroy. <laughs> All right, Herschel, you're gone now. I can't believe I did it twice. Two calls in a row. I, I know why. You know why you're doing that is because it's Leroy's show today. I mean, you and I are just listening. I know, and he's doing such a good job, and I keep hanging up on him. I shouldn't do that because then you and I are I, I thought to maybe you were. Yeah, I thought maybe you were upset because it's a Leroy show today. No, I I love it when he can solve problems like that. Let's uh, let's grab another call. We'll we'll get him back, and uh, I'll try not to do it again. Let's go to Alberta. Ben, welcome to the program. Oh boy, you did it again. <laughs> he, he's back. He uh, hey Leroy, it was me again. Yeah, I, I figured, but you, you can't get rid of me. So. <laughs> I just have room. Yeah. All right. Ben, what, can, what can we help you with today? Uh, so as you guys were talking, I had a couple more questions. So for um, a 3406B mechanical, uh, is it normal for white smoke at first 
startup when it's uh, like say zero outside? Of course, of course. All oh, the engines have to start in retarded mode and then they advance. So that's why you're going to hear or see that uh, white smoke. But um, that's a good sign. You really want to see that white smoke for the first four or five seconds. Right. Okay, so Bruce, remember I sent you a picture of a power module. Uh, there's a company called Egg Services, I believe, and you were going to review it with Leroy or JR to see what your thoughts are on that. Well, um, I probably haven't. You know, a lot has been going on. We had the Louisville show, and we had the owner-operator snowmobile conference, and we uh, just life is busy. Okay. So yeah, it's so. it's just for it's for the 2004 Mac since we can't uh, tone it. Yeah. I was just I found a product uh, Diesel Solutions. Ag Diesel Solutions is the company, and they sell a performance module. It it's a power in the ground. You hook it up to power and ground and plug it into your EUP, uh, like the injectors, I believe. That's the way it works. Mm -hmm. It's the ECM somehow. That's, is Leroy back on? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Do you hear what he's talking about? Yeah, it sounds an awful lot like a power box. Okay. You're putting a device to power and ground, and then you're intersecting uh, or intercepting the... Uh, injector signal and then you're adding to it i mean it sounds uh awful lot like a power bar okay so you think it's a pretty good uh reliable product you think we should give it a shot they have a 30-day uh guarantee if you don't like it uh they try give it. your money back try it yeah i mean guarantee you got nothing to lose so yeah hey let, let's keep one thing in mind any company can write any guarantee they want. I would try to find somebody, if you can, if you've seen this on social media and you could reach out to somebody, I'd try to find somebody who actually got a refund. I, I've seen a lot of companies go, go into business, put out a horrible product, make a big, big deal about their guarantee, but they're never going to pay anybody back. What do you do when you want a refund and they just say, no, you don't qualify? So just be careful about that is all I'm saying. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this product. But I, I am saying a guarantee is only as good as the trust of the company who's issuing the guarantee. And, and if you don't know the company, they can make any claim they want. Yeah, all right. That's why I was going to get you guys to review it to see what well, your the, thoughts the, are. But like if, if Leroy said it's like a power box, then it's probably very similar to your guys' But concept, yeah, but, power box. but hold on a second. A power box is similar to tuning. It's just being done ahead of time slightly differently than than changing the program in the ECM itself. A tune is only as good as the person doing it. Leroy just talked about a lot of tuners do nothing but put a lot of fuel at a certain time. And it makes the truck sound good, run good, but we lose efficiency. It's it's so be careful. Again, tuning, we can't see what somebody is doing. I mean, you and I can't. Leroy or somebody qualified enough could dig in there and figure it out. But 
uh, that's time consuming. So we, we don't know what might be in somebody's tune. Right. There are things that are dangerous in tunes. People turn off safety how about, features. How about that power module? You think there's things I mean, uh, dangerous in a power module? Hey, Leroy, I just my, my first thing you, that would be with the with the device like this, they they can't turn off any safety protection, can they? No, it's all external. It's after, I mean, they're after. they're simply just tagging on to the end of okay. Okay. The, the thing that sort of worries me about this is you said it ties into the injectors, but does it tie into the boost sensor? I mean, because that's where, you know, like the power box would be different than this, where the power box wouldn't add fuel, like let's say at idle or under low load conditions, or it wouldn't add a lot. The amount of fuel that it would add would be based on your boost sensor. Right. If this thing just adds like a flat offset all the time with no other inputs, then yeah, you're going to have fuel dilution issues. So you'll have more power, but, yeah, I mean, it could be potentially harmful long-term. Right. If you guys get a chance, if you could, please, uh, if you could, Bruce, review it. It uh, doesn't have to be today or tomorrow, but if you guys could, and then let me know. Resend that, my email. Resend that to Leroy. Leroy at PittsburghPower.com. Okay. Leroy yeah. at PittsburghPower.com. All right. Yep. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. Appreciate it, guys. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's. Uh, all right. So I'm going to be very, very careful here, Leroy. Hold on tight so I don't drop you again. I don't. Oh, there we go. I managed. Okay. I managed to do it. All right. Let's I'm go here. to Texas. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. Uh, you're talking about when the next year's model comes out. My 2014 Peterbilt was built on February the 27th of 2013 at 2.05 p.m. is when it came off the line. So it was 10 months before 2014 that my 2014 model was built. Yeah. I don't know why they keep upping that. It used to be September. I don't It should be January 1st is what it should be. A truck built on December 24th should be, if it's this year, it should be 23. And and then in uh, January 1st, it goes to 24. Why they keep upping it like that? That, yeah, that makes people, things confusing. People, cause, earlier and earlier. Yeah. Right. people say, oh, I have a 2017 with a 2016 engine. You know, just it's crazy. I don't know why the OEMs do that. Because the dealer... He was going to order it at the end of, or in December. And he said to me, he says. Uh-oh. Before I order it. There you are. You'll have a 2014. Go ahead. All right. We uh, we lost it for Oh, we lost him completely now. He just dropped. Um, let's go to South Dakota. Scott, welcome to the program. Morning, guys. I got a couple of things. One of them is to get Bruce involved, so Leroy can't talk the whole time. <laughs> okay. Nice. Say that again. 
Say that a little bit slower. I wanted to talk about the max mileage as my second topic, Bruce, so that then uh, you can get involved and have a little bit Okay. The dual SVR you guys were talking about in the intro and um, using twice as much depth. And it just clicked in my head. Uh, it wasn't very long ago we had depth shortages and people couldn't even buy the stuff. I'm just thinking it's just an absolutely stupid idea to let me use and sell all the depth. Yeah, because the depth, yeah, I mean, well, the, the depth is made in China, and a lot of it comes in on the West Coast. It's trucked to Salt Lake, where it's it's pelletized, and then it's turned into liquid, the water or whatever else they add to it. That's all done in Salt Lake. So it is a Chinese product. Let's well, just become more dependent overseas. That's a great idea. Yeah, great idea, isn't it? And, and and you know who is deep into the Chinese, right? And gets his pockets lined. So. Yeah, we're fine, yeah. Yeah. Second thing, Bruce, um, I've been skeptical for a long time of uh, the max mileage because mostly kind of because you push it so hard that it almost seems like snake oil. Well, I'll tell you why I talk about it a lot. Because we do not have emission problems today. And whenever a person calls me and they have emission or carboning problems, and I ask them, are you running the catalyst? And they say no. I say, why not? And they'll say that, that term, snake oil or something like that. And the reason I talk about it a lot is the amount of problems that we've fixed with it. You know, whether it's a two-stroke outboard engine, a chainsaw, my Harley Davidson, uh, and and even my Audi with a 450 horsepower, four-liter twin-turbo engine that was sluggish, uh, it fixed that. And the we have no trucks in the shop now with emission problems when it was 80% of our work, just like all the truck dealers, when they eliminated that problem. But if you listen to this radio show, you'll see that people aren't calling about emission problems because most everybody's running the catalyst. Well, I've been listening to the show for a couple of years, and I do not run a big truck. I run small trucks, and I haul campers and horse trailers. This is my third Ram pickup with a Cummins. And um, I do not keep exhaust systems in them very long. They get deleted and tuned because I idle them a lot at night, overnight, to keep myself warm and cool. And um, the emission system on the small trucks is still a, a big problem, in my opinion. Um, no, no it's not. Got, no. I, I have a 2016. I have friends with 2012 Rams, and they have a lot of miles on them. They're running a catalyst, and they're running trouble-free. But are they idling eight or ten hours a night, three or four weeks, three or four days a week? That's that seems where I have my most issues. Have you tried the catalyst? I have now on my deleted truck because I trust you enough. After listening to the show for a couple of years, I trust you in all the other aspects of what I listen to and hear. So I figured even with my non-emission truck, it's worth a shot and. Um, I put it in on Friday in Walcott, and I've been driving. I went out to Idaho, and now I'm getting back home up in northern Wisconsin. And so it's been in there for a couple thousand miles and about 60 hours of runtime. And the stuff is 
pretty impressive. What are you, what are you noticing? Um, my trucks are loud because, of course, they have what I would call a, a, a test tube in them. And um, the ramps have a lot of clatter, in my opinion. So it's just that's how a ramp pickup sounds. So I ran from Walcott over to Idaho, and um, then I went to sleep. And, okay, my truck sounded normal. I woke up in the middle of the night because my truck wasn't rattling anymore. I woke up in the morning, and the thing's running the best it's ever ran. I've had this truck for about 70000 now. It's got 190000 on it. And it was impressive to me. Um, obviously, it's cleaning something. It's cleaning out carbon. It's working through the overhead. Probably a lot of things, but I couldn't believe how it quieted down the engine. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of questions for you. Um, with my VGT turbo, is this going to help? Uh, another potential problem on the Rams is the the turbo vanes getting all gummed up and the actuator going out. Huh? Is this going to help with that problem? Because right, there, there's no carbon to collect on there now. 70% of it's eliminated, and I wouldn't doubt if it's higher than that. And your truck works hard. So it's probably higher than 70%. Yeah. My other question is, on this truck, I've got a 32-gallon factory tank and then two 36-gallon transfer tanks in the back, each with their own fuel pump, because I like a redundant system. So then if something goes wrong in one tank, I still have a second tank, and I can still have spare fuel. And also then I can remove those transfer tanks as I need to if I ever need the bed for something big. So my my fuel mix ratios are a little bit strange with this being one ounce per 25 gallons. How would you mix that knowing you've got a 32 and a 36 and a 36? And I bought the 16 ounce um, thing to make it easy to get one ounce at a time. Okay, so it's one ounce at 25 gallon and it's one CC per gallon. So take 25 from 36. You have 11, so you need to get a, use a syringe and add another 11 cc's. And that's kind of too much bother. Um, I'm wondering, can I dose it a little bit high or low? I'm thinking maybe I'll put one and a half ounces in because I fuel up all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm running hard. I'm fueling up at least once a day for all three tanks. Okay. That's not being you don't have emissions on it. That's probably not going to be a problem. Should I dose one ounce for 36 gallons, or should I do the one and a half? What's your total fuel? Do the one and a half. Um, right around 100 gallons, but I have it in three separate tanks. How many miles a day are you running? Uh, generally 650, 700. You're only getting seven miles to the gallon? No, I'm getting a lot more well. It depends on the headwind and stuff like that. Sometimes, yeah, I'm getting less than seven miles per gallon. If I'm hauling a big camper and I'm going out west and I got a headwind, sometimes I'm down every once in a while down into the high sixes. I average 12 and a half to 13 all miles. Well, then you wouldn't be getting yeah. 100 gallons of fuel every day. I mean, it, it, you just caught my attention. No, it's said, yeah, okay. Well, that, okay. All right. Twelve and a half is what I average. Twelve and a half to thirteen pulling 
a 27-foot Vino's trailer with four snowmobiles in it out of my 2016. Isn't it, isn't it crazy now we can do that with a Class 8 truck? Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is also 75 miles an hour, too. Uh, the truck's just geared too high. It's got 342s, should have 370s. It just. Yeah. If they aren't more and they won't put the three, they wouldn't put 370s in it. I, I don't understand their thinking on that, but. Uh, it's really hard to find a, a ram that's geared correctly. Yeah, they should have options like they used to, but they've taken the options away. Yep. All right. So that answers my questions, Bruce. And yeah, I thought it was snake oil, and it's kind of amazing stuff, and I'm going to keep running it because I couldn't believe how quiet my truck got after the first, I don't know, 50, 75 gallons. Excellent. So you've, you've heard me talk about torsional dampers and why you need to change those and uh, the – Ported ceramic coated exhaust manifold that flows 20% more exhaust and going bigger with the, the turbine housing if you're going to be using more power. And do you think all that was snake oil? Uh, we lost it, Bruce. So I thought. Okay. Yeah. Well, then let's go on to the snake oil. Would I have made it 46 years if none of my products worked? That's exactly right. You, you don't stay in business by cheating people. You, you just don't. So, I, I don't. We don't have a reason to sell something that doesn't work. Correct. And, and not everything works. You know, you walk through the Louisville show and you see all these things. Like people said, if, if everything made a mile of a gallon, uh, <laughs> we'd get 15, 16 miles a gallon. And, and you know, we, we shoot to make a quarter mile of a gallon. If we make a change and we get a quarter mile of a gallon, and if we make two changes and we get a half, and if we do four different things and get a mile, but yet people say, oh, yeah, you put this one thing on, you get a mile of a gallon. And no, we know that's not true. No, you don't. Hey, and the other thing, Bruce, we've been working on this stuff for 30 years. You collect a lot of this stuff over the years. You know, you do find the the problem is most of that stuff doesn't work. I get it. I understand why people are skeptical. It's like supplements. Most supplements on the market don't work and people waste tons and tons of money on supplements that do nothing um, or may even cause problems. And yet there are supplements that work really well. You get the right quality and you know what you're doing. Same thing here. I have been a skeptic of most fuel and oil additives forever because there's a lot of junk out there. It took me, Mm -hmm. if if everybody remembers right, it took me almost a year of taking those calls about the catalyst before I actually got on board. It was almost a year we were taking those calls before I really believed for sure that I was doing everything. I'm skeptical. I'm a big skeptic. I know. Well, Kevin, from the time Dr. Jane and her partner Britt left our shop in 2018, I didn't talk to you or anybody about it for a whole year. We had six owner-operators running it. Right. Plus, she had some running it. And it was too good to be true. You know, Bruce Luke with his 2013 P600, and he hauls cars up to Alaska 
from down here, and he was eight to twelve thousand dollars a year on emissions went to zero. And then the guy out of Fredonia, New York, that has uh, six or seven freight liners, and they would they run teams and they go to San Francisco and back with reefers. He's the guy that puts seven ounces in glass bottles because his drivers buy. Uh, 175 gallon apparently each time they stop. Uh, his trucks would automatically come back and go to Penn, Detroit, and Buffalo and get emission problems solved. And he never saw the truck because the drivers would drop them off there, pick them back up, grab their load, and head to San Francisco again. He now runs with zero problems. And he says the catalyst has saved him his exact term with gobs of money well and i hear that i you know i'm listening to these people and i'm not talking about it on your show i'm not writing about it i'm not even selling it we're giving it to our six owner operators because of the goodness of jane and Britt. and a year later at the louisville show they all showed up and said you got to talk about this stuff and then it took you another year so that was two years <laughs> right yeah yeah, it, it it took a while. And it, like I said, yeah. most of the stuff I've tested over the years does not work. So I understand why people are skeptical. But I, I, I and, you know, our most of our core tribe is not very skeptical. But, but I think they realize by the time we bring something out and really mm-hmm. recommend it, we've done the homework. I, it It would be suicide, business suicide for me to really bring in a product and push it hard if it didn't work. It would be so dumb of me to do that after all these years and the trust we've built up. No, there is not an amount of money somebody could pay me to promote a product that doesn't work. When I looked at those air tabs, when you first started talking about it, you got to be kidding. I know. I did too. We put them on our we put them on our show trailer, and we head for Dallas. And now we don't put enough miles on, you know, down to Dallas and back, Louisville and back. But we noticed the tailgate stayed cleaner. It, I've told the story many times that it was what really the first time it really clicked for me. I put it on a trailer, a show trailer, and I was pulling it with my FJ with that V six in it. And I wanted to drive 65. That's where I wanted to set my cruise on the interstate and just go. And without the air tabs before, now this is an empty trailer. I don't have anything in it. Without the air tabs at 65, it would keep kicking in and out of gear. It would shift constantly, a little bit of wind and it would downshift, a little incline and it would downshift. It would do it nonstop. I'd either have to slow down to 60 to get it to stop or speed up to 70. And at 70, my fuel economy was just awful. I put the air tabs on. It stopped doing that at 65. It would stay in top gear. Interesting. I never heard you say that. Yeah, I've told that story several times. It was, you know, on a big truck, you're never going to feel that little bit of difference it made. But on on the FJ with that trailer at that speed, I could you could see and feel and hear the difference. Wow. Hmm. Maybe I'll have to try and run my motorcycle trailer that I tow with a half-ton ram with a Hemi. There you go. Yeah, try that. 
Let's uh, let's grab some more calls because they're still coming in. Let's go to Kansas. Ray, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Uh, shout out, uh, first of all, to Pittsburgh Power. I uh, had my truck rebuilt earlier this year. Uh, everything is great so far. Uh, got one EGR code. Uh, me and Leroy is going to get to that. We can hook up to it. But I wanted to make a quick point uh, on you talking earlier about the electric cars, the agenda that the uh, people in power seem to uh, want to pose upon us. Uh, half this country's gone. They, they don't think for themselves. They would uh, follow uh, those people off a cliff like lemmings. And with, with that being said, we understand that they think electric cars are great, and but everyone can't have an electric car. There's not enough power. We know that. So the agenda has to be the demobilization of this population, the public population of the world. But what we need to tell people, and I hear no one talking about this, is we need to explain to these people that if, if they get their way, if they do what they want, billions of people on this planet will perish. Billions. They'll freeze to death and starve to death. Secondly, the second biggest point is, is Understand that those people that want to impose all this, those rules, they don't they don't have to follow those rules. They will still fly around in their petroleum-fueled airplanes and petroleum-fueled bulletproof SUVs. None of this will affect them, just like insurance. Same thing. You, you look at the situation, this is totally about demobilizing. We can get in a car, any of us can get in a car, go anywhere in this country, anywhere, in a couple of days. That scares the shit out of them. Think about that, and I'd like you guys' yeah. opinion on why we don't talk about it. I'll tell you something that I thought about years ago when labor unions were strong, especially in Pittsburgh, and iron workers and steel workers were able to buy condos at Ocean City, Maryland. I, I came to the conclusion that the wealthy people didn't want us working class people to be vacationing with them and driving what they're driving and owning a condo or renting a condo beside them. And then I forgot about that. And that was back in the seventies and eighties. Well, now I'm thinking it's true again. They, the government wants to suffocate working Americans and make us dependent on them and hold us back. And they're taking all of our money and the price of food and fuel and everything else and lumber and rent and housing. So they don't that's want... They have, that's why they have these new rules now coming out. They'll make it harder and harder right. for us people who yeah. want to own our own business. And, you know, they want to take that away. Oh, well, you can't own your own business. You have to work with somebody else. Hey, Ray. They don't want the middle class to succeed. I have a theory. I don't disagree with anything that's been said about it. There is something other than the obvious as to what's going on. Moving to electric everything is not going to save the planet. The planet doesn't need saving. It's not going to be any better for the environment. It could potentially be worse. So that's not the issue here. Anybody with half a brain could see that's not the issue. If you really were concerned about the environment, you wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now. So there is some other reason for all of this. I get it. I've heard all kinds of theories. And, and the one you just espoused is, is logical, makes some sense that that could be what's going on. What Bruce just said, the elites want to live in their own world and have a whole bunch of serfs. Um, who kind of support that world. That that would make sense, too. There's some logic behind that. And when you ask, why don't we talk about it? Well, we do. We, you just did. 
If your theory is right, what more is there to say? I, now we have to figure out how well, to stop I, it. We, we've identified that there's something else going on. I don't know how you prove which theory is correct. I'm not going to call them conspiracy theories. Everybody, people have lots of theories about all of these weird things going on, not just in this country, but around the world. Australia, New Zealand, horrible lockdowns. Never thought I'd see some of the things they did. Um, Countries all over Europe have the same problem we have with their borders. Mm -hmm. Refugees from all over the world are moving into first world countries and the countries aren't stopping them. The we're put, making this big push towards electric. Nobody really understands why we're doing all of this. There are a lot of theories. But when you say we don't talk about it, I, I talk about it constantly. I, I don't know what else to say or what well, else to do. I know, I, I know you do. My, my point was is we, we should hear about it so much more. It's the only way we're going to stop it. Well, wait a minute. Here, let me explain to you why we're not hearing it more. Because somehow over the last couple of decades, the government has managed to get into bed with the media. The media no longer reports on the things governments are doing wrong. The media has become a big marketing arm for the government's agenda. That's why we don't hear about it. That's why we talk about it, but you don't see it where you want to see it on the mainstream news every night. Yeah, that's very true. Hey, why can we go? Why, if you move to South America and lived, you can buy a brand new Kenworth Peterboat or whatever with no emissions. Why is that? Because they, their government, yet didn't write laws to to make that happen. So, if you look at the globe, we're this small country. Talk to airplane pilots that fly into India and China. And they'll tell you where the smog is, and we're this tiny little country, or let's say medium-sized country, and we're supposed to clean up the whole world. And we've done such a good job in this country. I'm 57 years old. I can remember being 12 years old, flying into uh, California. The, the, the smog was horrible. It's so, so much better now some of the- it was. Some of the best examples of this are right there where you live, Bruce, in Pittsburgh. I've been to museums yeah. in Pittsburgh and other things where they have photos at noon. All the street lights were on because the smog in Pittsburgh was so bad around the turn of the century, the sunlight couldn't get through. It was the steel mills. Yes. But we don't have steel mills now. No, they're all in China, did, and they're still polluting just as much as they were when they were over here. Right. So what the government, to me, should have done was saying, look, and this happened in foundries. I was with Loftus Engineering in the uh, mid-'70s, and we dealt with a lot. We made plate mill and strip mill slab furnaces and soaking pits, and we dealt with a lot of castings. And the people that made castings in the tri-state area were going out of business left and right because the government came in and said, you must go to electric furnaces. Well, there was 200 employees in, in certain places. Mayfield Foundry was one of them. And I said, we can't afford to go to an electric furnace. Why didn't the U.S. government put three engineers in there? and say, we're going to clean this place up, we're going to work with you, and we're going to help you, and we're going to protect these 200 jobs. Now, 
they're gone. They're gone. So. Hey, hey, you know why we're talking about this? The government needs to help with with business and not hurt business. Do, Do you realize this topic that we're talking about is the reason there's vitamin D in milk? No. I did not know that. That's why there's vitamin D in milk. Prior to big cities with this huge smog issue around the turn of the century through the 50s or so before we even started to attempt to clean any of this stuff up, um, people people in cities were getting rickets because they didn't get enough sunlight. And that's how our body produces vitamin D. So they had to put vitamin D in milk. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Now we're not building power plants, but yet we want electric everything. It's not going to work. So, th- so I agree. There, there, there is some other agenda here, and it, it's frustrating to try to figure it out and talk about it. And, and at, like I said, I think our biggest problem is the fact that we no longer have a media that reports what the government is doing wrong. Hey, thank you guys George. so much. I, I really appreciate it. All right. Hey, George Soros bought all the media. That's the problem. Yep. That's exactly right. Let's go. George Soros is the problem. That's why I am, uh, I, as crazy as it sounds, I'm a pretty big fan of Elon Musk. He's one of the few people fighting back against this that can make a difference because he has so much money. Mm-hmm. And he's making a difference. All right. Let's go to... Illinois, Richard, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, um, this Richard, I kept, uh, Bruce was talking about my truck this morning. Um, I got a question for Leroy and also uh, for Bruce. Uh, Leroy, I've been fighting with fuel dilution on on this 12.7 since I've bought it. Uh, it's up in the five range. Um, I replaced the injectors uh, shortly after I bought it because I had high fuel dilution on my oil sample. But the the problems that you was talking about in the ECM with the uh, on the Detroit, I'm wondering if that could be a cause with a lot of my fuel dilution instead of instead of it being just the injectors. Because like I was telling Bruce this morning, this truck is running a whole lot smoother and I haven't been able to yet to catch it blowing out a bunch of smoke and whenever I started up in the morning times, um, like it like it normally has been doing since I've changed the injectors. So I was one curious about that. What what's your thoughts on that? Well, you you're saying at high fuel dilution. So what what's the numbers that you're getting? Uh, it's this being in the five, uh, five four. I think with my highs, and then the, it's then been down like four eight, and right at uh, five one. They're they're all been they all been over five. Uh, I mean over four. My highest one was five five point four. And your soot's also elevated, or just fuel dilution? I think it's just fuel dilution. I I don't think I think I may have one high soot problem, but the rest of it's been pretty pretty normal on the soot. Yeah, I mean uh, a misprogrammed ECM can add to that. I don't know if that's all of the issue. I haven't um, had anyone track closely, you know, before and after 
we make those sort of calibration changes if it fixes fuel dilution or not. But um, yeah. it, well, I've I definitely guess. seen ECMs really poorly programmed have a lot of fuel dilution, but not just from um, split injections. I, I haven't quite seen that. Right. So I just changed my oil. Um, I think it may have been a week ago, uh, two weeks ago, and I just done the the tune on it the other day. So um, I'll I'll find out about that whenever I get my next oil sample if my dilution's gone down. I'm I'm hoping that it will have gone down because I don't have that that stuttering in it anymore. Whenever I'm uh, in low RPMs, just kind of idling. I mean. Uh, cruising along there it got to where it wanted to stutter and if i get into it to get to keep it from doing that it'll blow out a bunch of bunch of white smoke so it's not doing that anymore um bruce on the mk bk pk uh i have the bk on this truck i got two tick t600s both Mm -hmm. got 12 sevens in them um this one i've got here is a bk the other one is a mk you mentioned that if you got an MK, why not just go ahead and turn it into a BK? So I can turn that MK into a BK then? Yes, you can. Okay. So is that does that have to do with the – I know it's got to do with the compression, but is that in the head or is that in the, no. the full – In the pistons. In the pistons? Use the engine serial number off your BK for your MK. Okay. Now, are, are, are both they, D-Deck 3s or both D-Deck 4s? Uh, whatever. The, this engine I got, the BK is a 99. I think that's a yeah, 3. That's a four. No, yeah, that's a 4. four. Uh, okay, so my, my MK is a D-Deck 4 also. Yeah, so you're, you're okay. So, so use the BK serial number when you buy the parts. Uh, so is the, are the pistons smaller or bigger or is what? No, higher Right. Okay. Okay. And on on gearing, uh, uh, rearing gearing. I don't know if y'all any of y'all know about this or not, but right now I've got three fifty. Uh, I mean, three uh, seventies in this truck. I got I got three fifty fives in my other truck. If I go down to two sixty fours, I was told that I cannot change the the uh, the gears because of the pump and not having enough clearance for the gear. No. Um, is, no. is that correct? Two sixty fours will fit in there. Okay, so all I got to do is just change the gears. I ain't got to change the whole housing or anything. No, that's right. Oh wow, that's gonna save me a lot of money then. Okay, all right, that's all I got then. All right, that's okay. Hey. That's all we yeah. need. Thanks for Richard. the call. Thanks for calling this morning, Richard. You gave me something to talk about for the radio show. There you go. All right, let's go to Pennsylvania. People do have to realize sometimes when they. Oh, um, go ahead. That, that's all right. We're right. We're. I think this. Uh, I think this person might be standing right behind you, Bruce. Mark, go ahead. I don't know if Bruce is here or not, but uh, I was standing in the lobby on hold. Uh, I got the truck checked in late yesterday. I have a 2018 Western Star uh, car hauler, and you know, I just pulled up the show and somebody was talking about snake oil and the catalyst. I've been using the catalyst every mile on this truck here. And it's like, I I don't have issues with, uh, emissions, none at all. 
the reason I'm here is to get the overhead set, get the damper changed, and a couple other minor issues that they're looking into. We you know, found the water leak this morning because of getting the Hawkeye report. But, uh, I mean, I've got the uh, uh, OPS. Uh, I use fleet air filters. Uh, and it's like, it's what you do if you want to. I mean, somebody this morning on Facebook was trying to sell a car hauler for a ridiculous price, and they had in there that it was, uh, it did use DEF, and it was like 2018 or something. And I put in there, I was like, that's not even worth what you want for it because it's deleted. And I put some more information because he said that was my opinion. And I said, well, all these programs are written by people overseas and they don't even understand these engines. And, and then somebody came back that was prominent in the car hauling industry and labeled me as a troll, which I went ahead and deleted my post or whatever. But it's like, you know, if you want to point out facts, it's like you're labeled a troll because there's, there's so much misinformation out there and so many, People have preconceived uh, opinions, and they don't even understand the facts of how things are. I mean, if it wasn't for the catalyst, we'd probably all have problems, but it, it works. It does what it's supposed to do. I, I put it in, and, and the guy was talking about how uh, he was dosing, and uh, it was like he didn't want to use the correct measurements and it's like uh, it's just what you do so you know yeah uh uh it's, it's easy to do i mean i have this little beat little glass beaker cookie thing that i have bruce's little pouch that i put it in or whatever lack of a better word and i measure out like i'm so anal at how i measure it it's like for every 12 and a half gallons i put half an ounce and i can measure it exactly and i just dump it in and it's like i do it every time and it's like i'm on the subscription it just comes. I don't even notice it. And it's like, you know, people get cheap out there. with their, I know people that are cheap with maintenance. I know people that are still scared of emissions. I know people with deleted trucks and they don't understand it. And I tell them that they've, they've made mistakes and they look at, they, they, they don't say anything. I, I knew, there's somebody Paul's been helping that he was going to get a, uh, looking at getting a, a truck, but he's scared of emissions. So, hey, hey Mark, you know. I do have some good news for you here. Go ahead. Uh, all those people you're describing, I agree with you. The good news is in the next year, there's going to be a lot less of them around. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, uh, and it's it's getting to the point where, I mean, it's it's starting to be knowledge out there. You're starting to see posts here and there on social media where people do understand that that are working on these trucks that that they were designed around the emission systems. And when you go to change it and, and you don't have – people that actually know what they're doing, writing the software, they, these people always have problems. They're always putting trucks in the shop. Uh, they're, they're, they're like taking engines out of trucks that don't belong in and put your, you know, they don't want to pack cars. So they put a cat in there and it's like, why, why not just deal with what you bought the truck, make it run. There's technology to make this stuff work. And it's like, I don't understand these people. You're in business to make money, but yet you go out there spending money like crazy for stupid things and diminishing the value of your equipment when you just, just maintain it and, and use the, I don't know. It's just, it, it's you, you, you're dealing with people out there that there are people that shouldn't be doing this because they don't understand. And, and the, the technology is there and it's like, it's right there. And you got people like Bruce and you got people like David counts 
they're there to help you. And they're the nicest people on earth. I've I met every one of them. I've been to all of their shops. So, you know, and, yeah. and you know, go ahead. You know, some people don't want to take the time to measure out the catalyst. And, and sometimes when I'm in a hurry and I'm going to buy 12 gallon of gasoline and I've got to open my little jar, get out my, my plunger. And, and I, I say to myself, Oh, I'm in a hurry. I said, you know what? God, you're 74 years old. Why are you still in a hurry? And you know that the car doesn't run as good if you don't put it in. And so now I've, I have found some gas stations that have non-ethanol. I go out of my way to buy their gasoline, and I still put the catalyst in it. Because think of when we were younger, and you would be pouring gasoline into a lawnmower. You saw those vapors coming up out of the tank. You could smell them. Now you pour gasoline in a lawnmower. There's no vapors. There's no smell. How does this stuff even burn sometimes? And it's the same way with diesel fuel. So if the government's going to continue to take all the good stuff out, we got to make it better. Hey, Bruce. Yeah, it's not not hard to play. Not only could you see and smell those fumes, I can tell you exactly how they taste. Because you're siphoning. (laughs) Siphoned enough (laughs) gas that I know exactly what it tastes like, yeah. You ever swallow some, and oh, for the next three days, you burn fumes. <laughs> you, you ever, you, have you ever burned burned out? Have you ever poured some on an ant hill and burned out ants? Oh, It'll yeah. make you run. Yeah. It's, oh yeah, I've burned many ants. Bees, those bees down in the ground. Yeah, I, I've yeah, burned those. I did that once. Pour gasoline down, and then I'd put the rotary lawnmower on top of it. And uh, after, after the flame went, I just let them fly out, and they'd get hit, caught by the. Uh, by, well, they would sting the hell out of me, and so I'd fix them. You know, it was an, it was a cure. I've always found cures for things, and that was my cure for the ant or the bees down in the ground. There you go. Hey, hey, Mark, what, what you're talking for, about here? For, you know, we we've identified these things, and then years later, you wonder why nobody catches on. You know, the industry still. As long as Bruce has been talking about it, then Bruce brought it to us. We started talking about it. We've spread it as far and wide as we can. The industry still does not get crankshaft dampers. Something so simple. And they can't even get that. No, it, you know the analogy here? I, I, I've worked a lot in the, the medical industry now. It's no different there. We're talking about human bodies. When we prove something, when we prove that salt is not bad for you or that stomach ulcers are actually created by a bacteria, they finally proved that. Ten years later, the industry still does not do it. Yeah, and I'm so paranoid that I mean, every time I change the oil, I do it because this this engine runs hard because I you know it's a car hauler and you know fuel mileage sucks. But the uh, every time I change the oil, I do an oil sample because I'm paranoid that something's going to go wrong in there, and it's like it's that's it's a just, cheap that's just good thing. business, right? I, I it's a cheap thing you can do, and I tell I don't know anybody you know other than Paul that oil samples and it's like i just do it every time because i'm like paranoid that something's going to go wrong and i can catch it just like every time i fuel i check the fuel mileage i put it in your app i do it with the def because if if that goes crazy i'm like i have a problem here what's the problem at least i know you know it's a, it's a 
way that I can identify something before it gets bad and fix it before it costs me a shitload of money. Well, there's another area. Right? Bruce so, and I, even when we didn't know each other, Bruce and I have been talking about oil samples for three decades and bypass filtration, and yet it's still not common. Yeah, I mean, uh, and the fleet air filters, it's like, you know, I've told this one guy about it, and it, he goes by there twice a week. And I said, do I get to stop in and get it? And it's like, they'll, they'll come bring it to you at the truck stop down there. But do they do it? No. They, they think the paper is the best, and they don't listen to, the, to you know, uh, technology and how and, – uh, and so, it's just so, Mark. Here's, it's just here's, like you just almost give up with those people. Hey, yeah, well, you, you almost have to. And look, it's kind of what I do for a living. But let's think about this. I, I, I've been saying for many years now this was the longest run-up in the economy we've seen. It's the best time we've seen in trucking in forty years. So. A lot of these people that you're talking about look at what you're doing and they go, well, that oil sample costs money and it takes time. And and why would I do all that stuff? Because, look, I'm doing OK. And they were they were doing just fine. They were making a living. They're paying their bills. The economy was so good. You could make it as an owner operator with half your brain tied behind your back. And, and most people didn't have half a brain and they still made it. it that's going to change. It's changing right now. The kinds of things you've been doing all this time that have put you in a good position, so you're not even worried really much about this recession, are the same reasons you're going to make it through this just fine. Those people that won't I, I, open I mean, their I, eyes I, I'm not really this worried. Thing, they're not going to make it. And, and, and again, it goes back to building relationships with yep. all these different carriers I haul for out there. It's like, I, I just... You know, that's, you, you said it over and over, build relationships, build relationships. And, you know, you work the program, you, you, you use the products, and, you know, you know, to get as cheap a capital as you can. I mean, I've got a relationship with a credit union. It's like, I have my, my loan for my truck. It's like really low interest. And, and because I had to put so much down and it's like, it's just numbers. And, and it's like, you know, Mark, you here, just here, look at it. And- here's the difference, Mark. You're running a business. They're pretending to run a business. They just want to say they're in business. They just want to say it's their truck. And that'll work for a while when yeah. times are good. It's not going to work now. Yeah, I mean, because it's like you still, you, you know, and, and they don't want to go the extra mile. It's like, I know this one guy and I tell him, I said, well, you can do this down that only home on the weekend. Yeah. And then he's like, one time a while back, he's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to park the truck and deliver it on Monday. I said, if you don't deliver that load tomorrow, you'll spend half a day money delivering a damn load. Yep. I said, that will cost you in the next week. And it's like, yeah, just, you can deliver it in the morning. You'll have an empty truck, but it's like, it never occurred to him to do that. And it's like, you know, it's because I'm always thinking, how can I do this more efficient? How can I do this, you know, with less stop? How can, how, how can I do it like this? And it's like, you know, it's almost like I'm running a race car out there because it's like, I need to stop here, here, and there for fuel. And it's like, you know, I use the nasty fuel card. Uh, it's like, and, and it's, hey, Mark. It's, Mark, here's, here's another reason why, yeah. why you're frustrated. I hear it. You're doing the hard work that I talk about. 
you're doing all that stuff and it is hard and it takes time and it's easier not to do it. And it's frustrating when we look around and people who weren't doing it seem to be doing really well. That's all over. The the party's over for those. Let me, let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you what the, the one of the most important things that I did on being in business is I got very frustrated. It was too pain in my account. And I went to Paul and I'm like, Paul, please refer me to your bookkeeper because he always talked about his bookkeeper. And he did. And she took me on. And they fixed me and they got me. And it's like every month I'm, I get a statement. I know what I make. I know what I do. It's like that was the most important thing right there is that. I can track my numbers. I can see what I'm making. It's easy to figure out. The hard work's done. It's like, I, I I thank her every time she gets on the phone with me. I just tell her how much I appreciate the hard work she does for me because I really do. Yes. And because, and, and I know somebody, just one of these people I was talking about, they called me and started asking me about taxes. And I'm like, well, I pay people to do that because they know a whole lot more about right. that than I do. Right. And I pay people, I find people, I mean, Roger Pinsky said, the key to success is to hire people that know more about something than you do and use them and their services. And that's how I found Bruce and you and Paul and people that know more about, I don't know anything. I just drive a truck. I just use, I just exactly. try to find people that know a hell of a lot more about everything than I do. Yep. That's how we find Leroy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we've got good people. And Bruce, I'm glad to see Bob's back. I saw Bob this morning. It was like we sat there and talked for about 10 minutes, and it's like, uh, back, Bob. Bob, uh, Bob had some health issues and wanted to retire, and he plunked retirement. He's, he's such a great guy. He is. Good to see him. You know, it's yeah, like he, it's uh, everybody you have here, it's like, you know, and it, Bob, Bob would take Debbie and I to the airport. I'd, I'd tell him he pick pick me up at the house at four a.m. He was there at uh, ten or fifteen minutes early, waiting in the driveway. You know, and load the suitcases, take us to the airport. And if I needed yeah. a ride from the airport back to the shop on a Saturday or Sunday, he was there. He's just a great guy. But you know, I'm gonna tell you a story about him. He was a street fighter when he was young, and you look at the size of him, he's not that big. But uh, uh, one night at bike night, a guy that was almost twice his size uh, told me about him, and he said, man, we were in this bar fight, and Bob got us all out of there. He said, you guys stay out of here. I'll go back in there and take care of those guys. When you look at him, you wouldn't think that. Now he's he's calm, and you know, but yeah. he's, a, he's, he's a good guy. He's good people. Yeah, he said, he said, he said, he called him and he was like, he's like, hey, we might, you'd like to come back? And he's like, yes, when? When can I start? <laughs> like, I'm like, and I was like, Paul and I were talking about him yesterday because he was like, he, one of the routes he took us to the hotel, he takes the back by that low bridge. And I didn't know you had so many wild turkeys around here. And it's like, yeah. Uh, well, you've met me. Yeah. Have you met Mac? Is Mac ever taking you to the uh, motel? He probably did last summer or whatever. I mean, I I don't. Well, I was there last summer. I was. It was, it was a year. It was a year. That's another great summer. guy. We, we took yeah. it. Well, everybody here. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody here is. It's. It's like you know nobody. It's rarely that people leave. You know that says a lot about you. So. Thank you know and. 
well, you know, and thank you for, you know, everybody that I deal with that, you know, because like I said, I learn from everybody out here and it's like, I'm not scared to ask questions and no matter how stupid it is or whatever. And it's like, you know, I'll, I'll call Paul and I'll ask for advice. I'm like, how should I load this or whatever? And 95% of the time I, I follow what he says. And, uh, you know, it's like, because they, y'all, everybody's got more experience than I do. I, like I said, I just, you know, it, it, I, I, I see these people and they're friends of mine and, you know, the same way, you know, Mike Beckett, you can pick up the phone and call Mike Beckett. I got a question about this tire. Why is this tire wearing like this or whatever? And answer the question or whatever. And I use the, the guy down in South Houston that does the, the MD alignment and he's done a good job. And it's like, you just, the, the, the help is there. The system works. Hey, hey, I mean, Mark. I'm living proof and, and I did everything wrong to begin with. You're, you're, you're describing the tribe. That's why we built this. Yeah. It's like our own little bubble, you know, and it, and it works. It does. And cause I mean, I wouldn't call you for the longest time because I knew I did things wrong. I didn't want to get yelled at. So (laughs) I don't yell at people. (laughs) Cause I did everything wrong to begin. (laughs) Maybe once in a while. Maybe once in a while. You know, but I mean, I did, I did stuff wrong. I was like, well, I know I've done this wrong. I mean, I had the wrong, I had to do it. I started hot shotting with a Ram 5500 and all like that. And through that, I was like, I got to get rid of this. You know what the difference is? You had enough sense to understand you did something wrong and try to figure out a better way. That's all it takes to succeed in this world. Just realize you might be doing something wrong and go look for a better way to do it. Kevin, I told you this about four or five months ago or whatever. Back in November, I called you and I said, it just occurred to me, I've been doing this, I started this business eight years ago and I've changed it like nine or 10 times, nine or 10 times right. to do a radical change. Cause I'm like, I'm not happy with the way this is going. Excellent. Yeah. You know, I started off with a 40 foot hot shot, ended up with a, a five car hauler, a three car hauler, a freight liner. And I now I've got this Western car, uh, there you 10 go. car stinger set up, which I'm completely happy with, but it took me that long to figure this out. Yep. And meeting Paul and, you know, I met Paul at the Dallas show and, and then we became friends. We've been friends ever since. And, you know, there you go. And, and, it's, uh, so, you know, the, the people say that snake oil and all like that, they, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just listening to a bunch of, you okay. know, yeah. uh, drivers are worse yeah. than old women when it comes to talking about rumors and bullshit. No, I get it. You know, what's interesting about conversations like this, that uh, us talking, if you listen to what everybody's saying, We've all got it figured out. You know how to run your business now. You've got the relationships in place and your timing was good. We're heading into an economy where that's going to be really, really important. But all of us here, we're all business owners. We've kind and I'm not saying we know everything. I'm going to learn something new today, I hope, and I'm going to learn something new again tomorrow. And I'm going to keep my mind open to always learn. But it, 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 part of this is, is helping each other. That's part of the whole concept of the tribe. Um, but this, you know, all of that hard work, all the stuff we talk about is about to pay off now. But listen to the, the way what you're hearing. We're not frustrated with our own business. We're fine with our own business. You're not frustrated with your business. You're happy. You know what we're frustrated with? Think about this. We're frustrated because we can't help other people. 
That's really what what everybody is saying here. It's what Bruce is saying. We need to reach more people. We need to make more people understand this. You're saying, look, we figured out these ways of doing things. It works really well. Why can't I get these people to understand? I mean, think about that. We are we're not complaining about our own businesses. We're complaining because we can't help somebody else. I don't even feel like I work anymore. I just, I just, I just go out there and get my exercise by going and fetching cars and, <laughs> and, and, you know, put them on there. And it's right. like, you know, it, it's, you know, it's like, I just, and it, it, I, I don't, you know, I quit drinking three years ago and it's like, I, I get up, I go to work. It's like, it's, to me, it's not work. I enjoy what I do. It's fun. Go. It's like, you know, it's, and, I don't, and, I don't sitting, I, know it's, I, I, I lived off the space, the movie. I lived that before. Yeah. Well, I, so, you know, I just never again that, that good human beings, once they figure out how to do something, they want to share it. You want to see other people get that same benefit. And it's frustrating when you, you key, I, I say it all the time. The most frustrating thing for me about learning everything I've learned about health is I want to share it with everybody and most people don't want to hear it. No, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. They think their doctor, you know, they think their doctor was, an, you know, God came down and anointed right. the doctor and put the white coat on them. Yeah. They do. Yeah. And it's like they, you know, and, you know, they, they 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 are so uh, so into this medical dogma. It's unbelievable. So yep. yeah, and I guess there's dogma in trucking too. So it's Absolutely. like you know. I, I, look, I, I, I posted. I know. Think, think about where we are. We are t- the we are talking about horrible freight rates that came out of nowhere. These I'm watching people. I'm trying to help them on social media, and I'm seeing people post things like. This load is a dollar fifty. I pulled this load three months ago. It paid three dollars and fifty cents. So everybody finally sees what's happening to the rates. So I go in and say, look, the the fastest thing you can do to start to turn this around, no pun intended, the fastest thing you can do is slow down. It is an instant payback. Fuel is going up. Rates are coming down. There's no point in rushing to your next cheap load anymore. Slow down. Immediately, the response yeah. was, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. These new modern trucks are so aerodynamic. Slowing down doesn't matter anymore. That, that's still the kind of response I get. 35 years yeah. focusing on how to get better fuel economy and somebody just says, oh, that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Come on. And they've been out here four years. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, like I said, you to do something right, you have to learn who knows more about it than you do and learn from, you know, sometimes you don't, it takes a while to find those people, but it's like, and that's that way, you like you said it a long time ago. Another thing, it's like shops. I had a local shop I was using in Houston, and it came to the point where I had to let them go because they were just so incompetent. Exactly. I mean, right. And so, so I'll just go, I'll come up here. I got another shop I, I found down that way, and I got a there's a there's a car hauling shop in Jacksonville that I'll go to. And because these people did car hauler, but they they were trying to tell me it'd take two days to put a freaking hose in a trailer, and I was like, no, let's just rig it on the side now and go to Jacksonville. Right. Yeah, you know, I just get it over there because, you know, I, I don't have time to sit for this incompetence like this. I, and, I get. And it. I never went back to them. Yep. Now that you know, like, 
Mark, you get into Ogden, Utah, there's Ogden Truck and Trailer, and they specialize in car haulers also. And Well, I don't get out that way. I have only been out that way one time. I generally try to stay in the southeast. I mean, I've seen some snow here this morning in the sky. I just look at it and bring a tornado up here with me to this, <laughs> this trip. But it's like, this is this, that's the first ice and snow I've seen all winter long. So I go. was very lucky this year. I didn't get to experience that because I, 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 I developed this relationship where I ran from, from Houston to West Point, Georgia, pretty much back and forth. I did that. I've done that since August. And uh, I was told that could never be done. Then they had, I'm doing it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah we we I've been told that my whole life. You can't do this and you can't do that. The more you say I can't, the more I got to do it. Hey, hey, Bruce, my first office, I had a poster that I just loved. And it was a guy like base jumping off of a cliff. Um, and the, the caption was, um, let me, I got to think for a second here, make sure I get this right. Um, people who say it can't be done should get the hell out of the way for the people who are doing it. Yeah. The one I had was a guy skiing down a mountain and then John Walker wanted it. Uh, said those who say it can't be done are usually interrupted by others that are doing it. Yeah. Same, same idea. Exactly. When I, when I rode race the Corvette out at Nelson's ledges, it's, and I was young, but a younger kid came in and said, all the stuff you did to your car doesn't really make a difference. And I said, well, I said, I'll hold the track record here. Where, where's your car? He said, well, I don't have a race car. That's my Falcon over there. And then I just walked away. Yeah. And yeah. I was probably 24 years old. So. Yep. All right. Calls are still piling up on us. We're going to get back to them. We're going to go to Iowa. Pat, welcome to the program. Hey guys, uh, Leroy, what did you need to know about that Volvo that I had? No, I haven't been doing. Yeah, what's the feedback? Did he pick up any mileage or yada yada yada? Kind of give me some feedback. Well, it did when I owned it, and then I sold it, and then the guy that I told the guy how to run the truck, uh, and he put a driver in it, and wah, 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 trucks up for sale again trucks up for sale again because uh oh they can't get any mileage out of it so you know and i told him i said you got to run the catalyst i said you got to run the truck around 62 65 58 whatever uh otherwise you're gonna go broke and apparently they can't listen so you know it goes along the same lines of what mark was talking about and you know I think Mark and I could be really good friends until he said he doesn't get out of the southeast and he doesn't drive in snow and ice. I just don't think that works. <laughs> That's when you live in Cheyenne. <laughs> yeah. So, and and just a perfect, so, Kevin, you were saying slow down. That's your best way to do fuel mileage. The other day, I loaded out in Green River, Wyoming, uh, 27 tons going out to Minnesota. And the wind was relentless after that last snowstorm that we had on Friday and Saturday. And I was coming across the top side of Nebraska there, uh, going to Valentine and then back up through Mitchell and, and that way. And I just slowed down. Uh, I was getting like 4.2 and I slowed her down to about 57. And this W9 was 700 horses and all the torque in the world. And at the end of the day, I ended up getting 
So these guys that sit there and say that it can't be done, they're full of shit. That's right. And that's going to start to become pretty obvious in this economy. You can't, you can't buck wind and get fuel mileage. You can't nope. do it. And the trailer that I'm pulling actually sits down behind the sleeper. And I've got it tucked up back there as tight as I dare. Uh, and, and I still can't. You know, I mean, look, if I get real stupid with this thing, I can get three miles to the gallon. <laughs> right. Uh, but I try not to get stupid with it, you know. So, and if you piss the guy off behind you, I don't know what to tell him. You know, maybe he should have left five minutes before I did. And then I've had guys go, well, how was I supposed to know what time you left? Well, you should plan for a guy like me. That's the way that works. Well, well, first <laughs> of all, you live in you live in the middle of Wyoming. And you get to live on Interstate 80 with all that wind. And all you got to do is when you're going into it is look at that turbo boost gauge and drop that 18 speed or 13 speed down a half a gear. And if it's a 10 speed, drop it down a full gear, back it out, bring the boost gauge down. Don't wear out your truck to buck wind. I'm trying that's right. I'm working with you. Good. I'd rather be in rolling hills or even mountains because I'm going to fight it going up, but I'm going to get the coast going down. But wind is relentless. It never gives up. Well, so back on that Volvo, like I said, they got that truck up for sale. And they were pulling the van with it, an EcoSmart van at that, that had skirts on it. Uh, it was tucked up behind the sleeper as tight as they could get it. Uh, and he calls me up and he goes, well, this thing only gets four miles of the gallon. I said, no. Well, what do you mean? And I said, how fast is your driver running? And he goes, I don't know. Well, if you're not going to manage what you got, I can't help you. I, 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 I don't know how to be any more plain than that with you, some of these guys. Yeah, You know, they they all want these slope-nosed trucks, and they all want to get 8 miles, 10 miles to the gallon, but they, well, here again, we're going to coin that phrase. They don't want to do the hard work to, to make it work for them, for their operation. Correct. I, 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 don't, I don't know how else to look at that, except that if you're going to be hard-headed, then I'm going to move on down the road. I've been talking to guys this week with big cat engines and the whole nine yards. And we still got that chuffing problem going on with that MXS out there in green river, Wyoming. I got another guy that's got some problems with an MXS. We're trying to get these guys squared away. Uh, I still don't understand what's going wrong when we've got a chuffing problem and we've got our foot buried in the oil pan. That seems to me that it's losing traction on the air in the turbo. These guys tell me that they've checked everything from the, 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 the thermostat housing on, on the turbo, you know, in front of the turbos, all the way back to the, to the exhaust port, uh, and, and they can't find a leak. So I, 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 I guess now we're chasing ghosts. So I... I I don't know. I've talked to Leroy about, or not Leroy, but I talked to Jr. about it, uh, and you know that's all he can come up with is why uh, we we just can't understand why it's losing traction on the turbo wheel. But 
I got two of them that are doing it right now. One of them's got our tune in it, and the other one does not. So I you're don't saying, know how to. You're saying that the turbos, when you, how do you, when you say the turbo's losing traction, yep. what do you mean by that? Turbo stall. And it's stalling. Turbo is stalling when they've got fuel to it. And it's just, it, it makes my mind want to blow up because. Okay. Uh, I, is this I, in like a 379 or a W9? Yeah, they're in a long nose truck. Yep. So we got dual air filters. And yep. does it still have the catalytic converter on it? One of them does, and one of them does not. One of them is straight piped and still having that chupping problem or that, that turbo stall or whatever you want to call that. So they're pulling the hill at what, around what pound of boost does it do this? They're, they're, they're both sitting between 52 and 55 pounds. Like when they leave Cheyenne and they're loaded, uh, oh, they're, they're not fit. bad. Nope. 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 And what are they, what are they hearing? It's it it it's just uh, that sh -sh 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 in the back you can hear it, and I got one that's smoking nothing but black smoke, and the other one isn't smoking nothing at all. It's kind of like being in Colorado, depending on your political views. One's smoking all the time, and the other one ain't smoking near enough. So there you go. All right. <clears throat> Any ideas? Leroy, you got any thoughts on that on the Acer? Could it be the actuator? Um, I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I know that, I mean, my thought is kind of the same as JR's where, I mean, they, I, I know they said that they checked the wastegates and stuff, but it just really seems like the, the one driving turbo is just overseeding. Um, it's it just really what it feels like. I mean, if it was a backed up muffler, it would slow down the turbo, so it's not that. Um, if the IVAs weren't adjusted correctly, you would see, like if they were backed off all the way, then you would see less boost. And if they were adjust, adjusted the other way, you would see more, but still it's just not enough. I mean, cause primarily you get turbo stall when your pressure ratio for your boost exceeds how much flow that the engine is consuming. That's when you get a turbo stall. So right. if we're getting that, then the engine's either not consuming enough or we're getting too much boost. And you primarily get too much boost on those from the wastegate not working correctly and you get too much turbo speed. That's so, kind of what it feels like. I know you've, you've, they said they've checked everything, but I mean, it, nope. they don't all do this. Nope. <laughs> There's something wrong. We just got to figure out what it is. So the guy on can they, get the end, can they get the truck to Pittsburgh? No, both of these guys are running local. So the one guy, the one that's the guy that's been my customer, our customer for uh, three years or so since he bought that truck, he just now now instead instead of asking anybody, he just went out and spent a bunch of money. Now here we go down that dumb road again a little bit, right? And 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 I love this guy; he's a good guy, whatever. But. He, he spent $8,500 on a set of turbos, and it didn't do anything. It's still doing the same exact thing it was doing with the old set of turbos on the truck. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, there, 
I know that that's, I remember that's the story, but yeah, it just, yeah. obviously there's still something wrong. It's just not like a, a mystery thing. So it, it, it's just hard to, to diagnose without, you know, being there. So I'm not sure. Can it, do you think we could have a fuel line collapsing or, or just a, 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 a vacuum leak on an airline or, or, or well, it wouldn't be a pressure leak. It would be, it would have to be a vacuum leak, right? going through a fitting that's cracked or something like that. I mean, I guess I don't know. I mean, the other thing is being in a vacuum. Did they, did they try it without the, the air cleaners? Without any air filters? No, no. I don't think he's gone that far yet. But every time yeah, he turns we, around, we he's finding more stuff wrong. So go ahead. We had, we, we had a Z-Deck 5 a couple months ago, JR and I, that would uh, turbo stall. And they got, I think I talked about it on the radio here. Uh, we took the, we told the guy to take the air filters out completely and go run it. And that was his issue. I don't know. I don't remember if he had a paper filter or K&N or something, but he had some sort of just inlet air restriction and that caused the turbo to overseed. Well, then I'll call, I'll call, uh, I'll call our customer over there and I'll tell him to do that. The, the other thing that you sort of, started to mention was maybe this guy is mistaking turbo stall for a misfire. I'm not sure I'm not there, but you know, is it something like that? Cause then, yeah, maybe we'll start to look at collapse fuel lines or something like that. No, it's, it, it's, it's, it's stalling. It's, it's chuffing. Um, okay. So I'd so years ago when we'd build the 800 horsepower big cams, Yep. Some and a few trucks, we would get a banging noise in the crossover from the turbo to the after core. And I talked to the several Cummins engineers, and Mark Chappell was leading this one, and he said that you're making so much boost that it's backing up and it's banging against itself, and you're actually hearing it. Boom. And I don't remember what we did to cure it other than you don't take the truck or you don't take the engine to that limit. But it only was a couple. We have a, we have a guy with an A-cert and Les Dallin. He's up to 1,100 horsepower and he's not having any turbo stalling or anything. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people that don't. He's ex-race car driver and an ex um a jet ski racer, so he really understands performance. Years has been set up that way. And and this a starts putting seven hundred to the ground, about fifty nine and a half pounds of boost, uh, stock just with the tune on it, stock, you know, stock interior. Uh, and I'm not having, and, and I've got my fingers crossed, and I'm gonna beat on my head here in a minute. Uh, you know, knocking on wood, that kind of thing, but. Uh, uh, I'm not having those issues. And the only time that I've ever known, known a cat to lose traction on a turbo wheel is like on my six NZ when I'm up in the mountains and, and I go to grab a gear, I might let her pull down a little bit too far because I'm trying to get to the summit and I let off and grab that next gear. And then it goes, you know, so that's the only time I've ever experienced. I've never experienced turbo stalling with 
fuel to the injectors. That's what's okay, throwing me, everybody off. Let me give you a little history. Years ago, like with the 335s, the compressor wheel or the turbo, all the fins were even. And sometimes the turbo would go and skip through the air. Such as if you take an outboard, a small outboard boat, and you turn it real sharp and you have it wide open, you can skip that propeller. Well, the turbo would do the same thing. So to cure that, that's why every other fin is up and every other fin is lowered. It breaks up that air dam coming in. Now, let's go one step further. The reason the 90-degree rubber elbows have ribs on them, they used to suck shut. Oh, when they'd suck shut, you shut off the air, and now you're just roaring black smoke out the stack. And, and back in the 335 days, the old original turbos, when all the fins were the same height, when they would skip through the air, there's no air going in the engine, still fuel going, and then you had roar black smoke. So, and one time I had a truck cab over and it had an air filter behind the bunk and it laid on its side and there was a field inside so to so that whenever the turbo was sucking air it wasn't just pulling through one part of the air filter that had broke loose and it would block off all the air going to the turbo and the guy had the same problem and we worked on that for a few weeks before we found that shield had broken loose inside that air filter wow yeah yeah that's kind of the next thing i would maybe have them try it like i said either take the filters out or just pop the the inlet off the turbo and just go do a pull with it okay make sure Make sure there's not a resonator on there, or or those. Uh, if it has the original muffler on, that's long been clogged. That'll cause a similar well, problem. And so, if it's so got, if it's got a really restrictive, uh, some people go out and buy a resonator and not look through it. And if it's really restrictive, it'll do the same thing. And trucks that ran in the forest years ago, they had what they called a flame arrester. And my God, that thing was so restrictive that the truck would hardly run with it. So, so what he has done, his truck is is same year as mine, except he's got an MXS and I've got an NXS. So, okay, uh, 07, twin twin mufflers underneath the truck. So. Uh, he's already taken one apart and taken the catalytic converter out. Um, and he, and he just hasn't had time. I mean, he's a bull hauler, so he's got to do all this stuff, you know, when he has time and he just hasn't had enough time to get that second one done. But he said when he took the first one apart, that it was in pretty good shape. He was very impressed. Now he's not burning the catalyst, which I totally recommended for him. I mean, I'm burning the catalyst in this, uh, and I, I, they ain't no snake oil when it comes to that. Now, Kevin, do you remember at Las Vegas about 12, 13 years ago, there was them guys selling them sulfur tablets at the truck show. Yep. Now that 
that is nothing but snake oil right there because I bought a ton of it, <laughs> brought it home. I had three trucks running running Rocky Mountain doubles, and it didn't do a damn thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, those tablets, the problem with those tablets, the what made the tablet was good, it just didn't dissolve in diesel fuel. So we tried them, yeah. too, and, and then I talked to Dr. Jane Gates about it. He said, yeah, we pulled a lot of them out. The problem with them is they don't dissolve in diesel fuel. Yeah, that's a Well, problem. and I found that out. I had to get I had to get a chopper, you know, like a, like a nut chopper, and I had one in each one of the trucks, and we were out there chopping up them damn pills, <laughs> putting them in the tanks because I wasn't going to throw that shit away because I spent money on it. So we're out there with a nut chopper. We're chopping that stuff up, throwing it in the tanks. And you're right. I think each one of those trucks had a little bit of green crap in the bottom because that stuff still wouldn't break down enough. <laughs> hey, hey, Pat, that, that's how we learn. All right. Uh, hey, Bruce, since we're hey. getting deep into turbo technology there, I've got a question. Does anybody Is anybody familiar with anti-lag systems like on rally cars? Anti-lag system on a rally car. Anti-lag for the turbo. So, yeah, let's. I've driven a lot of turbo cars and turbo trucks and pickup trucks. Lag to me came from people that wanted to do jackrabbit starts, and that's why it's popular in rally. If you feather into a throttle and you feed into it, you don't have lag. And the same way with the turbo snowmobiles, you know, they always talked about turbo lag, and I didn't have it on mine. So I think the reason this is popular in rally, I've been studying rally and might even want to go to a school here. You get these crazy hard turns where they do this thing called, uh, what do they call that, a Scandinavian flick? where you, you use the emergency brake only to swing the back end around this corner, and it almost brings you to a stop. These these corners are so tight, and then they want that instant acceleration coming out of there. I didn't realize, though, listen to how this works. Here's the uh, an explanation I found for it. Anti-lag changes the power turbine into a gas turbine when the throttle is closed. A valve attached to each exhaust manifold runner will open on deceleration. The valve then diverts air around the engine instead of going through it into the exhaust manifold. The turbine housing speed is maintained by combining fuel, changed air paths, and ignition maps from the ECU. That's quite a system. Yeah. Yeah, when you when you get off the throttle, you lose all your the temperature and the pressure in the manifold to drive the turbo. So you need something there to drive it. Like you said, you can. There's multiple ways to do it. You can pump the excess boost that you had when you close the throttle back into the manifold, or you can just shoot straight fire into the manifold to make more pressure and temperature, which is sort of what they do. It's right. extremely retarded uh, ignition timing. And they just put a pile of fuel in there just to just to keep the thing light right. or lit. That's why you get the you know the pop bangs and the stuff. Oh yeah, when, when they get back on the throttle, they want the turbo to beat. 
they don't want the lag. Yeah, and when you're I, off the throttle, I, like you I, said, you're shooting flames straight into the turbo. It's really hard on the turbo. Um, but the other thing it gives you oh, is, yeah. is this firecracker sound and flame shooting out the exhaust the whole time you're decelerating. Yeah. Hey, that uh, that's not a Scandinavian invention, holding using the emergency brake to bring the back end around. That's how you drove a Volkswagen Beetle in western Pennsylvania on slick snow. <laughs> it's funny. That's exactly how I learned to do it. The uh, but it in in yeah. rally racing it the Scandinavian teams were the ones that kind of perfected it. So you you yeah. come into the corner well, on the inside, you're hugging the inside of the corner tight. Right before the corner, you start to shoot to the outside. Then you hit the emergency brake to bring the rear end around. But then you you've got to have acceleration <laughs> to get back out of that. Yeah. That's how we got around the bend and uh, driving fast with a 68 Volkswagen Beetle. That's right. Yep. There you go. All right. We uh, we are going to take one more call, and then we're going to get out of here. Uh, Charlie, you get the final word today. Well, good afternoon. Uh, the first question is for Leroy. I changed my EGR jump sensor because it was always getting saying it was too hot. Is there a setting in the ECM? Because the only time, no matter how hard I'm pulling, that that check engine light comes on now is if I go over 1,550 RPMs. No matter what the exhaust is. Is there a setting that I should have got somebody to change? Well, so I just wanted to verify the check engine light you're getting is for high EGR temp. Yes. Okay. So I've seen this a bunch, and it's usually just the EGR cooler. I mean, if we look at how it works, you have exhaust temperature in the manifold. It has to go through the cooler and then into the intake. If the sensor is reading right, then the EGR cooler is not cooling the exhaust temperature off enough to put it back into the intake. And that's why you're getting a check engine light. If the sensor is reading right, okay. the ECM is reading right in the wiring. But typically, it's just the EGR cooler's toast. Okay, because, I mean, it'll do it even on the flat. If I go above 1,550 RPMs, as soon as I back it down to 1,540, the light goes out. Hmm. Yeah, because typically you want to see, like, um, less than 200 degrees on the EGR temp sensor. Sometimes it can get higher under full load. But... I mean, think about if you had no exhaust cooler there, no EGR cooler there, period. Sometimes going down the road, you have four or 500 degrees of exhaust temp, maybe three, you know, 100, depending on how light the load is. That's still too much. So if the EGR cooler isn't doing its job, then the overall efficiency of it isn't working and you get high EGR temps. Okay. Now, the caller before me, I was listening to you all. This one here had what we used to always call the turbo call and the EGR call. Since I've changed my throttle position sensor, I have not gotten any of them. I'm wondering if that might be his problem. Even though it's not showing up as a defect, 
I just wonder if they might be having a problem with that that's giving him them problems. Because mine never showed up as being bad. It never showed up as being bad, but when I changed it, everything came back to normal. Yeah, I mean, if the ECM suddenly sees the throttle percentage go from 100 to 3, yeah, it's going to feel like you just stepped out of the throttle. But I'm not sure if that's his or not, but, you know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that, that's your issue on this truck. And, Bruce, as far as the catalyst, I run it faithfully. And if I treat for 175 gallons, because I figure that's what it's going to take, and I put a 199-gallon in, I do not put any more treatment in. So that guy with them tanks, I'm just wondering if he could do it, because I don't think he's putting all them tanks full every day from empty. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that catalyst. When you can pull an EDR valve off, stick your finger in it after it's got Almost a half a million miles of pulling out that looks like it's brand new. Uh, I believe in that stuff. Yeah. Excellent. All right. I was, uh, I was on a conference call with a ferry system yesterday. They haul cars and they haul people. And they have one boat down every day because of emissions in their entire fleet. One boat is always out of service wow. because of failures. Oh, there goes fire alarm. Uh-oh. Well, we... Um, uh, I, I got to run. Yeah, I'm gonna, I was going to cut you loose. Uh, we're going to wrap this up anyway. Leroy, anything you want to close with today? No, I think I'm all good. All right, we're going to wrap this up. I'll see you back here tomorrow. Destination Health, no guest. We haven't uh, we haven't had many free-for-alls lately on Destination Health, but tomorrow is one, so I will see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. <laughs>